Hi, hello, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by my heterosexual life partner, party boy Pete McCormick. And our guest today is the incredible, the amazing, the fantastic, the fearless Frank Palumbo. Party boy Pete, how you feeling, babe? I'm feeling pretty good, Mathal. I'm ready to get started. Beautiful. Me too. All right. So you can find us on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can join us on the Twitter and the Tiki Talk at Working Pete Pod and get some fun in with us on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, then email us at workperspectives at gmail.com. All right. Let's get this thing started. Let's go. It's our objective to be effective by voice and society. Matty boy. All right. So, as you know, uh, the bastard, bastard, son of a bitch, bastard, Tom Lavelle, the challenge date has been dropped, aka asshole to all our listeners, aka Captain Jerkbeard, aka son of a biscuit. He has he has come up with the date for the challenge, October 2nd. It'll be going down at the land of the free and the home of the brave, Graham's Pub in beautiful Roxborough. You'll be able to stream it live with us on Instagram, and we'll have it on YouTube as well. Um, But I will win the rights back to the show, because Pete, goddammit, this is our show. Matt, it is Jocktober, and a jock is going to beat the crap out of a jerk. By God, I can feel it coming on. (laughs) Jocktober is back in action. Uh, We'll definitely have some stuff, lead-up stuff, so make sure you stay tuned on our YouTube channel and everything like that to stay posted on all the lead-up stuff we have going into it. But this is the match of the ages. This is the showdown that they're all been waiting for. Forget the thrill in Manila. Forget the rumble in the jungle. Forget Pacquiao Mayweather. Forget them all. This is what the people want. This is what the fans want. This is the dream match. It's a, it's a lifetime in the making, and it's finally going to come to fruition October 2nd in the land of the free and the home of the brave Graham's Pub. So. Matt, I was watching Cinderella Man this weekend, and I just I'm looking at Russell Crowe, and I'm that's all I see is you, and I just look at that Maxie the Bear, such a jerky jerk stun, and I'm yeah. like, that's, that's asshole right there. Yeah, that's yeah, totally asshole. Are you kidding me? Especially with that big schnoz he's got. Yeah, son of a bitch. Yeah, what a bastard. All right, nice. Okay, so let's keep it moving. We got a really really great guest today, friend, or a really great guest today, Pete. Our guest today is fighting frankie palumbo so all right all right so we've talked about and pete you know this place very well uh henzo gracie pa academy in hatfield where i teach boxing you went you did jujitsu there all this stuff but i'll tell you what this place as long as i've been there and i've been teaching there for four almost 14 years 
a lot of lives have come in there and been changed. And Frank is no exception. So I will say this, Frank, he's a nice guy. He's a very well-spoken guy, but he's not like in a, you know, he's not like a, like a screamer attention seeking kind of guy. He's just there to do the work and he works. No one works harder and he's there to get his stuff in and learn. And you don't and, hear a lot of high yas on the heavy bag. No, he's there to do his shit, but He's also not like, you know, screaming and yelling. So for the first year and a half that he was there, I called him Mike by accident. (laughs) (laughs) And I think he, but the thing is I've been punched in the head so many times that names are a difficult thing for me, but he had told me it was Frank several times and he just looks like a fucking Mike. It's not my fault. What do you want me to do? Right. You know, so either way. So uh, Frank is a little bit of an older gentleman. You'll find out he's married. He has seven kids. He's been around the block for a couple of years. He's been in the Philadelphia police department, or he's been, sorry, he's, he's married. He has seven kids. He's been around the block. He's been a policeman for 30 years, almost 30 years. He's, you know, Oof. been protecting, protecting people for a long, long time, but he didn't come to the gym until a little later, but he came with goals and aspirations and he came because he wanted to accomplish something. So that's the best way to enter any endeavor is is with goals set out, you know, something to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, one of the biggest things with this is coming in there with, you need for like ferociousness and, and, and animosity to go after these goals. You can't just say them and forget you need to have the like ambition and, you know, it takes a lot of commitment and you need to have like, you know, you need to have the want and the need to accomplish these goals. Cause it takes a lot of work, right? Yeah. Like it's tough to work a full shift all day, come home, have seven kids, then go do your road work and your shadow boxing. And then also wake up every morning and do your calisthenics before you drive 40 minutes to your job. And that man, it's not just goals. It's, it's attainable goals. You want to push yourself, but you want to make sure that it's something you can do. So that way you don't get frustrated. Yes. And honestly, I'll tell you what it was. It's honestly, I've been along with him for the ride and it's been an incredible journey. So, all right. So Frank's been at the gym for a couple of years, right? And at, you know, after a while, I, I stopped getting his name wrong and, and, you know, we've been working together and things like that. <laughs> Then he comes up to me. He says, he calls me coach. I tell him to call me Matt, but you know, you can call me coach. (laughs) But either way, he's like, look, coach, the, uh, they do a thing. So the, uh, the Philadelphia police department does a thing where they had, they used to be the cops versus the firemen in a boxing match. Right. Ah. And I'd actually cornered this thing a few times for different guys. Right. So Frank said, I think it's Blue Flame is the name of like the organization. It's like the police organization that does it. It used to be the cops versus the firemen. And now it's more, I don't know if there's, I think there's only a few firemen that do it, but there's still a ton of cops, men and women that do this. So what they do is they rent out the armory in the Northeast, right? Okay. I've I've fought at the armory. You've been in the armory. Like I've cornered. I think I grew up next to the armory. You did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And it's dude, it seats a couple thousand people. And there's a difference between a crowd of a couple thousand people and a crowd of a couple thousand cops going freaking nuts that have been tailgating all day, getting ready for this thing to get to kick <laughs> off. You know, they had the National Guard there. They did the whole flags and ceremony and everything like that. It's like you're so freaking pumped, you know. So, oh, yeah. 
So uh, Frank calls me. He, he comes up to me at class. He's like, look, uh, I got I got a fight. Should I take it? And I was like, well, how do you feel? He's like, I want to do it. And I was like, well, if you want to do it, then we're going to fucking do it. But I'll tell you this. If I see like you're not holding up on your end with the training and the commitment, then we're I'm fucking pulling you because there's no don't anybody getting hurt. You got to go all in. Number one thing. And that's honestly the owner of the gym. Great friend of mine, kind of like a mentor to me, Rich Lotta. I've been to a bunch of gyms and there's a lot of gyms that'll treat you like a bag of meat and they're trying to get a payday out of you. Rich was like, he really kicks back against that where he's all about like the, the safety of his fighters is paramount. That's why his gym is so successful and has so many guys that are healthy and doing well and thriving is because the fighters come first. He's not going to throw anyone into a fight that they don't think that they can either win or do well or be safe. Right. Yep. Yeah. So all right, so it's a cut. We're a few weeks out, so I'm like, all right, Frank, it's time to start camp, right? So we're getting into camp. Frank then goes all in. He's doing his road work every day. He's doing his calisthenics. He's showing up for training with me. He's going to classes. And then after classes, we're staying to do training, and we develop a game plan. And I, dude, I'm telling you, this game plan was fucking money. Pepperum, get out. Pepperum, get out. Pepperum, get out. Golden out. In and out, brother. That's it. Rocky fucking... three, baby. Get, that... get, get, you know. <laughs> that dude, you're a hundred, dude, you are 100% right. Don't hang out to get the fucking power going. Get in, get out. Get in, get out. So we, we do the, and he shreds down. I'm telling you, he was fucking lean, mean, Frankie Palumbo. He looked great. He was like, I've never, he was, you know, honestly, it's crazy to think like now the fighter he is now that even back then that was Frank at that time. It was the best I'd ever seen him. But the Frank now would drop that Frank in a fucking heartbeat. You know what Uh, I mean? So it didn't, it didn't go away after that fight. The the, the passion stayed in him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. So, and it's even stronger now. I feel like he's cause it's, it's legit. It changes your life. Like, cause when you first start the training, you see it as like this insurmountable eye, like insurmountable mountain. That's like, Oh God, it's forever climbing, but it's not, it just becomes your life. Like you kind of like doing it, you know, like if you like the training that you're doing, it just becomes fun and just becomes something you want to do every day. You know what I mean? And like, you see, seeing the results, I tell people that come in, there's no more motivation than seeing results. Because when you start seeing results, you go, okay, this works. And I That's just fucking do this. Back, you know? Yeah, you're 100% right. So uh, we're getting ready. We're training, right? We develop our game plan. And Frank gets down, lean and mean. Best I'd seen him at that point, right? And it's fight night, right? So we go to the armory in the Northeast. I brought my brother-in-law in the corner with me. So we're in the locker room. So I'll tell you this. Uh, every fight I've ever had, I've either been the headliner, the co-main event, or like one of the last two fights, right? All right. I'm a, I'm a heavier guy, right? Uh, you're always yep. at the end. You know the deal. We're always at the end of the card. They don't put the heavy guys first ever. The right? crowd loves the big boys. They love them. But Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, you know him, you love him? Oh, right? yeah. Who doesn't? He's famous for saying, if he's not – finishing the show he wants to start the show right? oh yeah you want to be that, that firecracker that spark everyone remembers the first fight if it's a good one so when we got there i found out frankie was the first fight and i was like let's fucking go <laughs> right i was like that's perfect we're gonna fucking stay hot and get him going so i get there we get in there we have all our gear i start wrapping his hands right and like, you know, we're wrapping his hands. A couple guys are coming over because he's a captain. They're like, hey, Cap, you're going to do great. All right, yeah. Cap, come on, Cap. 
you know, and like I'm wrapping the hands. I'm like, all right, guys, fucking time to back off a little bit. Right. <laughs> and then I get his hands wrapped and I'm like, all right, let's get these things fucking wet. So we're throwing, throwing, throwing. I'm trying to get his hands as wet as possible. Get those wraps really heavy. Right. And then yeah. he's the first fight with brand new gloves. So I'm like, let's fucking crush these gloves a little bit. Try and hit them a little, you know, like we're doing all this stuff. And guys keep coming up like, all right, Cap, you're going to do it. All right, Frank, come on. You're gonna. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, like, guys, fucking back off. <laughs> and, and I don't know if people realize this, but like the older you get, the more you have to warm up. Some people are like, oh, you don't want to warm up. You're going to waste all your energy. But it's the opposite. You need to get oh, everything yeah. loose and warmed up. Like, otherwise, you'll just you'll gas out right away. That oh. adrenaline dump and just the tightness of the muscle. So warm up like the older you get is is, is paramount <laughs> oh dude you are not kidding it is essential especially to it's frankie's first big fight so it's kind yeah. of like like i need him to calm be, him down yeah 100 focus i still want him to be ready to go so we're warming up we're warming up we're warming up and we're the first fight so they did like a parade of the fighters to the ring along with the national guard and like the people that did the national anthem Right. But because we were the first fight, we didn't do that. We stayed on deck. Right. Right. Yep. So we got to watch it. And I'm not going to lie. I've been to like it. I had season tickets for the Eagles and I've been to a ton of fights and everything like that. When they do the national anthem, if it's done right, you the fucking crowd, everyone is ready (laughs) to go. Like it gets you so like when they're at the end and and the land of the free and the place is going you know what i mean like so that's how this dude i'm telling you it's been it's fucking it's it's cops they've been going all day they've been looking forward to this it's a big event that they get every year they've been you know having some fun tailgating doing their thing right they had the way they do it is they have the bleachers completely sold out both sides completely sold out and then they sell seats on the floor so there's ah. floor seats that are right in front of the ring and around the ring. So you can get floor seats that come with like food and drinks and stuff. Yeah. And then you can get the bleacher seats. Everything is jam packed. It's a packed house. Right. And we're fucking going nuts. So this thing goes off. The place is erupting. And I'm like, Frank, let's fucking go. Like I saw <laughs> like we, you know, like we're warming up, we're doing our thing. So uh, Frank, Frank's guy, he goes, so the guy we're fighting goes out first. So he walks out. I believe he goes out first. Uh, maybe he did. I'm not sure, but I believe, I believe he did. So I'm, yeah, yeah, he did. So he walks out first, he gets to the ring and then we're going. And this was my mistake. So <laughs> uh, when you're, when you're cornering for a guy, the fighter walks first usually. And then unless they're like it's like the brazilian parade thing that they'll do sometimes but it's usually the fighter walks first and the corner guys walk behind him normal thing right so for this one (laughs) fucking i let frank walk first we're walking to the ring and he's like high-fiving people on the way to the (laughs) ring and he's doing like some you know stuff and like all right they were like and it's like everyone we're walking by. And I'm like, God damn he knows it. everybody. He's a popular man. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn it, Frank, fucking eyes forward here. Let's go. You know, but I didn't want to. I don't have it. time to tape you up again. Yeah. 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 And I didn't want to ruin his thing because it's like the music's going. He's into yeah. it. I got, we got him a good message. That's what spot. he worked for, you know? Exactly. Right. So we get into the corner and I'm like, all right, buddy, fucking here we go. Lock in. It's just you and him and you're hearing my voice and that's it. Right. So we're in the corner, we're getting ready. I'm like, look, 
just go like do your thing we're fucking you should be proud of yourself that you're here you did a lot of work to do this now let's fucking go stick to the game plan so he goes out there the first round follows the game plan and fucking is a not like honestly bro 10 more seconds in the round the guy's going down the fucking it's almost a 10-8 round like he, the guy didn't lay a glove on him frank was smoking him right Frank then comes back to the corner and I see a look on Frank's face. I'm like, this son of a bitch better stick to the fucking game plan. <laughs> right? Cause I'm like, yeah, he, I know he's in his mind. He's like, Oh, that was easier. than I thought it would be right. And, and it was fine. Huh? You're feeling good. You know, yeah. the, the, the wind is behind your back. Yeah. And he's, and it's a really good first round. Looked really good. Right. Then he comes back to the corner. We get some water in. I'm telling him game plan, game plan, game plan. Stick to what you're doing. Really good stuff. Add some more of this. Take away some of this. Blah, blah, blah. Normal stuff. Goes back out. He does stick to the game plan a little bit. But then the fucking, he's he's a a cop. And he's a fucking, he's a man. (laughs) And he's a fucking brawler. So he eventually stays in and starts banging. Right? Uh And legit, it's him and this guy. They're standing in the middle of the ring going blow for fucking blow, back and forth, back and forth. And the guy he's going against starts grabbing. What are you doing, Rock? <laughs> I was like, hit the one in the middle, right? <laughs> and he's like, he's grabbing, the goot he's going against is grabbing the back of Frank's head and like holding uh, on to him, trying to hit him. He's a dirty clincher. Yeah, and Frank's trying to get away, and I'm screaming my head off at the ref. Right. I'm like, fucking, you need to take a point. You know what I mean? Like, but they're not like the points really don't matter. You know? Yeah. Amateur boxing. The refs aren't exactly doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he, so Frank ends up because he brawled, he ended up losing the second round. So he comes back to the corner and I'm like, all right, Frank, this is time to get back to the fucking game plan. And I can see like he's, but he's in the mode and I've been there too, where it's like, it's instincts take over. You know what I mean? And it's tough to think in those scenarios, right? But so Frank goes out there and he falls into the same trap of like the guy kept grabbing the back of his head. They kept brawling in the middle of the ring, back and forth, back and forth. I thought he won the third round, right? But there was a slip that they called a knockdown, but it was a slip. Yeah. So he ends up losing the third round. But I'll tell you this. He fucking fought to the very end went out on his shield like a true fucking warrior. And he obviously everyone's bummed after a loss, but I'll tell you, I couldn't have been prouder for a guy who'd never boxed before in his life, came into the gym maybe two years before that, right? Fully committed, took off, took a fight on with a younger guy who had had, this guy he fought had had like five fights. You oh, know? wow. Yeah, yeah. So he, he'd been in there before he was ready to go. Yeah, he knew what was going on. So he'd been in with this guy, and so Frank gets in there, first fight, fought a guy who had a few fights before, and Frank really, like, did really, really well. And, like, I know at the end he was kicking himself, like, should have stuck to the game plan, but he, I was so fucking proud of him. He did so great. And, like, what, dude, tell you what, it was at, like, I didn't see all of the fights, but it was fucking up there for fight of the night as well because it was a barn burner. People were loving it. The whole crowd was into it. First fight of the night, really did well. So he's doing great now. He's a captain in the police, in uh, in the police department. He's got seven kids. He's married. I know he's doing great. And he's, you know, everything's going well. And he's having fun. And, and he comes to the gym and he's training and he's doing his thing. Frank, I just want to ask, have you seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? And if yes, what do you think of that piece of shit movie? I have seen it. And um, 
I thought it was a good movie. Was oh, it great? Oh, for the good guy. Oh my god! Are you I was shitting? going over this bio sheet. I knew I had a winner in 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 my uh, pocket right there. Oh, well, uh, I'm a Queen fan. So um, same. So I am, I. I am too. Don't get me wrong. I freaking love Queen. Love them, right? But fucking not that movie. All right, Jesus. look, I, I see. I never got to see. I, w- I was born in '85, so I didn't get to see that performance. So when they ended the movie with that performance, I had always heard about like this is what made Queen great was this live performance, and uh, you know what? It lived up to the hype tonight. Oh, well, <laughs> some of us. So, all right. Well, that's disappointing. But Frank, how are you, pal? Great, great Coach man. Matt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. So, uh, how is everything going with you? Everything's going good? Family's good? Everything's good. Nice, man. Nice. So, I know you don't like talking about that fight too much, but I love it, man. That was so such a great night, and I was so proud of you, and you really, really, I wish, you know, I wish we had film for people to see, because you're a fucking blood and guts warrior out there. People don't know, Mickey Ward lost the sec- the, the two, like, the out of the three fights he had with Gotti, he lost two of them. People don't know that. Just because they didn't care because the fights were fucking incredible. You know what I mean? Like, you can still lose and win the fight at the same time, you know? I don't mind talking about it. Thank you for the kind words. Hey, man, of course, of course. You earned it. So, I got you here, and uh, I know everything's going great. So, I want to start real quick because we have some really good shit to get into. So, I want to get the Memory Lame segment out of the way. So, we're going to jump right into our new hot segment, Hitting the Streets. It's called the Memory Lame. Where do these bizarre memories come from? So in English, if you say this is lame, when you're describing something, uh, what you are saying is that it's not cool, it's not awesome, uh, it's not interesting. So this is where we're going to bring up a topic from the 90s. We're going to discuss it, and then we're going to vote to see if the topic, if the uh, if it's still totally radical tubular bra, or if it's lame city. So... Uh, being that you're the guest and tradition is, uh, Frank, what is the memory lame topic you have brought us? All right. Can we cheat a little and go back to the 80s or do oh, you have to yeah, say you the have, 90s? You have carte blanche. You can go back to whenever you want, buddy. All right. Um, ninjas. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Now, now, is this the same as, is it still cool or is it not cool or is, is this different? Ninjas are never not the coolest thing ever. I'll say that right now. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that. So my brother, asshole, we had brought him up on the show earlier. Um, he's a real, he's a real scumbag, but he did do a cool move. So he was, he, he, he has a, my godson is his son. And then there, he has two, you know, uh, like a niece and a nephew. And they were all spending the night at his house the uh, last weekend. And he told me, he's like, I played them a movie and it, it went over pretty good. He played three ninjas. Do you remember the movie oh, three ninjas, uh... Pete? Oh, it who was, doesn't remember Three Ninjas, man? Yeah, I don't was know. was Tum Tum. Yeah, Tum Tum. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Frank. That might have been a little past your time, but that was when, like, the ninja craze was at an all-time high. You know what I mean? So, I like, go back more to Shokasugi in the mid to late 80s. Oh, baby. Ah. What was it called? Kasugi? Shokasugi. S-H-O Kasugi. <laughs> <laughs> he was the big star in the mid to late 80s. And he was... so. And that's really when, like, like obviously Karate Kid had come out and was massive. Like, that's yes. when karate itself was was mainstream, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you had Jackie Chan hitting the scene. You had the muscles from Brussels hitting the scene, you know? Like, Bloodsport. Is there a better fucking movie 
than Bloodsport? Like, come on, you know? So I'm looking up Sho Kasugi, and you know where you might know him from, Matt, is he was in Bad News Bears Go to Japan. He was Whoa. a kata demonstrator. I don't know if it was a big role, but that Whoa. one stands out to me. <laughs> Whoa. Love Bad News Bears. I love all the Bad News Bears, to tell you the truth. Yeah, these are these are like very 80s uh, ninja movies, which you would see uh, in the theater. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what. The one thing that uh, – so I know they did a remake of Bad News Bears, which was – it was a fucking disgrace because <laughs> in the original Bad News Bears, this is how – like not not to mention like the, the language that they would use and things like that, but Walter Matthau, I think it's like in the first scene or one of the opening scenes, he pulls up, he cracks a beer in his car. Instead of taking a sip of the beer, he pours out some of it then opens a flask and pours the whiskey from the flask into the beer because he didn't want to drink the beer if it didn't have whiskey in it. I was like, this is a fucking movie. It's a hardcore boiler maker. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm fucking telling you, man, that was some gangster stuff. You know, they don't make them like that anymore. But that movie, classic. Kelly Leak, all-time character, all-timer. All right, but we were talking. I actually had a, a thing recently, so uh, you know, like I, I, I quit my job not that long ago. Yeah. But uh, you know, like I'm a tax accountant, so we deal with tax codes. And a lot of codes, you know, there there are subsections and everything. So you have like three parentheses J. So my boss had asked me over uh, Skype, you know, like, hey, do you have you looked up the new 163 J regulations? But when he put the J in the parentheses, it turned into an emoji of a little ninja doing a spinning back kick. Uh-huh. And the immediate follow up from my boss was, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> Oh, that's the best. Frank, I was like, I don't know, but I appreciate it, Buff. Yeah, yeah. No, that is great. Especially too when he, he was he is he uh, a little older fella? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's so he had best. no idea what an emoji was. He was like, What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. That's the best when you get someone who's like, What the fuck is this bull? Who's fucking smiling here? I don't care. So all right, Frank, what about you? Ninjas. Let's talk about them. What do you got? All right. I was um into karate from yeah. I guess about 1984 karate kid period through yeah. like uh, about 87 ish. Yeah. Got up to All my right. blue belt. And of course um, that segued into ninja stuff. Sure. Like um, you guys are a lot younger than me. So you don't, re- you probably don't remember when Asian world was in center city in Chinatown. No. Well, we'd go up to Asian world and get nunchucks and you could buy Chinese stars. Chinese stars were huge. Oh, yeah. oh babe. Throwing stars? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think your generation is the reason my generation couldn't have them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the cops never bothered us and they had them on every table in Chinatown. We just went up and bought them and we would practice on dartboards or, or, or telephone poles yeah. or whatever. So my friends and I kind of thought we were ninjas for a while. You know, we know a little bit of karate and... Sure. Um, the high point of it was probably Halloween, like 1986. We, yeah. we really like dressed completely as ninjas. We got the outfits from Asian world, oh, yeah. um, the Chinese stars. We had bow and arrows, quivers, oh. um, you, you name a sword. I actually had a blow guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we had a blow gun. It did. So um, we were really into it, you know, so um Actually, I had, I had a cousin. I used to, I still do. I have a cousin in Jersey out in the Pine Barrens. Yeah. And we used to pretend we were ninjas in the Pine Barrens. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we actually, uh, my cousin, I don't think it ever uh, made it to cinema, 
but uh, he got my aunt's uh, video camera, and we actually started making a ninja movie. Oh, ah. <laughs> dude! I would love, I would love <laughs> to see footage. Because uh, so we'll say. Well, I mean, this will obviously be coming up later. But Frank grew up in South Philly, right? So yeah, the last name Palumbo, no way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice Irish guy like Frank Palumbo. Yeah. <laughs> But no, and I don't but, know if you know this, but there's a bunch of stuff named after Palumbo all down in South Philly. There's like a uh, school and <laughs> it's all over, right? Isn't there a Palumbo yeah. circle? Am I there's wrong? There's a Palumbo park. There's a Palumbo. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, but either way, I would love to see footage of a South Philly karate dojo in the eighties. <laughs> Are you shitting me? <laughs> Could you imagine? Right. Like all those young teenage Italian guys with the dirt stashes. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Coming it's, out that- there. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh shin at seventh and oregon in, in south philly what was the instructor asian or was yeah. he okay he's be- actually pretty famous um jc shin i think he passed away a few years ago he was an older wow. guy when i was a kid oh I but see. he's actually pretty famous in the korean karate world oh oh wow nice wow yeah, dude. I'll tell you what. My dad did that stuff. He was stationed in Korea when uh, when he was in the military, and he was doing like he did like the taekwondo and things like that. But man, that's pretty cool. So I thought, I mean, like to be fair, you know, and 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 in being in like the MMA universe, like the karate stuff does get shit on. But I thought, like, when parents tell me like their kids do it, I was like, it's not a bad thing. Like, it's great for discipline. You yeah, I mean, I mean? Uh, George St. Pierre actually started out with a karate background. Uh, yeah. So did, obviously, Lyoto Machido kind of came back when he took the belt at light heavyweight, kind of showed everyone, like, hey, there's a difference between, you know, point cut to an actual full contact. I, I think what it was is it was just that it kind of became what he called McDojoized. Basically, everyone had it, but, you know, people weren't taking it as seriously um, as, you know, some people did. But there were, there were definitely dojos where people took it seriously. And, it, you know, <laughs> it was oh, yeah. legit. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, my uh, my uncle did some uh, did some time in prison, and one of the first things he did after he got out was join a Tiger Shulman's karate. And we were like, "Why? Yeah. What's the deal?" And he's like, "98 percent of the clientele are female at the Tiger Shulman's." Karate. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, makes sense. All right, now that you mention it, so nice. All right, so all right. Well, while we have it, I'll tell you what too. Like, let's be honest." ninjas were like teenage mutant ninja turtle beverly hills ninja three ninjas like could we i want to ask this frank frank so, so you know you, you were into all this stuff the the weapons that Raphael used the size are they actual good weapons because i always feel like he got the short end of the stick i'm seeing like you know a, a, a bow i'm seeing swords yeah. i'm seeing nunchucks and i see this guy yeah. with two little knives i'm like he, he got the short end of the yeah, deal he's like basically got some like barbecue forks you know yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know very much about size some of the, the i think the black belts started learning to use them um when i was at karate okay i I never used a sigh myself i was kind of a nunchuck guy oh i think we were because that was was michelangelo they were the coolest like that's what you wanted to do like the whole behind the back over under (laughs) yeah i guess size don't matter huh (laughs) correct I'm not gonna lie, Raphael was the best Ninja Turtle. Either way, so okay. he was always grumpy because he had the shittiest weapon. 
Dude, also because he knew that they were turtles and there were no female turtles. So he's like, oh, that's a good point. You know, he was <laughs> he was a recovering drug addict and no female turtles. And April O'Neil was giving him the cold shoulder. The guy had some problems, you know, <laughs> he had to deal with Leonardo being a freaking tool. You know, it's like, geez, he just wants to fight some foot claims and he can't even do that. So either way. <laughs> but all right. So we were talking ninjas. So let's get a vote in here. Uh Frank, what do you think? Are they ninjas rad or lame? Can I qualify it? I mean, do your thing, yeah. All right. If if you actually think you're a ninja, they're lame. If, if you're in it for the fun of it, they're cool. Yeah. They're, they're rad. Cool. Yeah. Peter Hosen, your thoughts? So I'm going to qualify it too. Like, I'm sure ninjas were cool in the 80s and the 90s, but nowadays they've been ruined. Has anybody seen the remake of The Karate Kid? Oh. The reason the original Karate Kid was so great is because Mr. Miyagi seemed like he was kind of like a feeble older guy and he was yeah. beating the shit out of 17 year olds. Yeah. And the new one, Jackie Chan is still ripped and he's beating up 12 year olds. I'm like, yeah. what? this is not Jack. This is no Mr. Miyagi out of no. here. Yeah. I have old not ninjas seen great. It. New ninjas bad. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to see the new one. It's uh, it breaks your heart. It, you are 100% correct. Cause like Johnny from, you know, Johnny from the original karate kid was legit juicing, you know, yeah. And like he was totally buffed up on some some sniff and like all this stuff going against and it's the, the guy fe- from Happy Days. You don't think he's going to be able to beat up a bunch of uh you know like you know <laughs> teenagers? Yeah. yeah, like legit, these kids are ripped in shape, like working out all the time and filled with like racist hatred from yeah. their from the guy, you know, their leader guy. And Miyagi just fucking breaks them a new one, no sweat. That's some real. Spend Jackie Chan. We saw him in Shanghai Nights. You know, we saw him with Chris Tucker just stopping organized crime and he can't beat up a, a, an 11 year old we knew that was going to happen yeah yeah come on yeah so i will i will say this uh if you frank if you haven't seen cobra kai you need to watch it i have oh, oh man yeah. whole new <laughs> dude i'll tell you what fucking larusso cheated i'll say it right now cheated <laughs> so either way uh so let's round out though i'm gonna uh i'm gonna i'm in the same boat you know back in the day ninjas were rad now they fucking lamed them out so that's what we're gonna do all right so uh that was another rousing segment of memory lane uh for anyone listening if you want to send in some memory lame suggestions you can do it to us on instagram at work Texas podcast and on the twitter at working peapod all right so we got some really good shit today let's get into it so like i said our guest today, Fighting Frankie Palumbo, was born in South Philadelphia, grew up in South Philadelphia. Uh, he went to Catholic school till first grade, then public school till third grade, then Christian school from fourth to eighth grade. And then he went to a place called the Center City Academy all the way through high school, right? Oh, all right. Yes. Growing up, he did a little basketball. Frank, I'm sorry. What was the what was the Center City Academy? Was it like a magnet school? Was it a spit like an art school or what was it? No, it's it's um, was kind of a college prep school. It was affiliated with a, a pretty prominent church my parents went to. And okay. I don't think it ever had more than 100 kids. And oh, so is wow. this a private school or was it a it was, was it public? No, it was private. private? Okay. Not not anything exclusive like friend select or, or anything. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I mean, but, you know, it's all fun. I mean, but still, I mean, it's better than what you would get. Right. Yes. That's not a bad deal. Nice. All right. So you did Center City Academy growing up for sports. 
we already talked, you did some karate, but you played basketball a little bit. Then you did like the normal playground games, like football and, and all these things. But I do want to talk about this. So you came up in South Philadelphia in the time when the greatest hockey team that's ever lived, the Philadelphia Flyers, were at the peak of the peak of the NHL. So you went from hockey not being really like, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. Then the Flyers hit. Then it's everyone's playing hockey everywhere all the time. Is that right? That's right. And my first memory of the Flyers is probably my grandmom taking me to the parade. I forget which one it was because they won two years in a row, 74, 75, 75, 76. Yeah, yeah, I think 75, 74, 75, I believe, but I'm probably wrong. No, yeah, no, I, think the, right. I think the, I think the titles were won in 75 and 76. It would have been 74, yeah. 75, and 75, 76. You're right. But, uh, you're right. I'm an idiot. Yeah, keep going. Well, and, and Frank, even bigger than that, who else did they beat? What? The Red oh. Army team that had was destroying oh, oh, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, in the yeah. NHL. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is true. That was huge. And and at the time, people actually had a reference point for what communism was and that whole struggle between the Soviet Union and the U.S. And I, I just don't think it would mean as much uh, if it happened again today. Oh yeah, during the seven, yeah, because I mean that was you know you, you had the the tensions with with Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. There was all the Cold War stuff going on. Yeah, it was two minutes to midnight through the sixties yeah. and seventies. The world almost ended a few times. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, everyone's fucking building bunkers and and you know has their hazmat suits and everything ready. But then you know the big bad Russian team showed up and couldn't handle uh you know couldn't handle well, three, and, three and Matt I. I think going into that, they had actually played the NHL All-Star team and just, like, crushed them. And, yeah. and they had crushed, like, a bunch of teams, and they eventually played the Flyers. And Bobby uh, Clark went out there and I think broke their captain's ankle with his stick in the corner. <laughs> and the Red Army was like, we're not going out there. These are dirty players. There's no way. And Ed Snyder said, you don't get back out on that ice. We're not fucking paying you. And you know what they did? They got back on that ice and they got their ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it turned out to be a little more capitalist than they thought, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they uh, might not be big fans of the U.S., but they like that uh, Yankee dollar, them greenbacks. Damn right. Our Canadians did a good job uh, making us look good. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, they everybody were... needs their little brother every once in a while, you know? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Kidding me? They wanted the same thing. Sure. They, yeah, there really is. Canada is a little brother to the U.S., but they were – I mean – like I loved watching the documentary they had on HBO about it because there was dude Schultz Schultzy was so right when he's like when he's like he's like I got a little wrapped up in it you know when you're in the third period and you're up five to one and the whole stands is screaming Schultz 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 (laughs) they don't want you to go out there to score a goal you know what I mean like they want him to go out there and freaking throw down and let's go but that was like what a great squad well, you know I also I mean? don't know if people realize this but what, what's the big hockey uh, movie with Paul Newman um oh uh Slapshot so Slapshot was actually made to make fun of the Flyers like it was supposed to be like satire commentary like oh do you want hockey to turn into this but it turns out it was pretty popular so oh, dude <laughs> they also appeared on the Simpsons Homer oh. Simpson goes to hell and there's a jury from hell and the jury box is filled with the 74, 75 Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> so true. So true. But it was so like when they showed it in the documentary, it was like a thing like the it legit like the whole city got taken over by flyer fever, right? Like 
kids that were playing baseball on the playground before never saw a hockey stick in their life. The next month are everyone's got a hockey stick. Everyone's playing. Is that kind of how it went, Frank? Yeah, that's right. I, I don't remember if I ever played on skates, but me and my friends always played outside in sneakers, yeah. um, you know, between the same two poles, we played nerf football. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it makes sense. Like, if you look back on it, this was really before Mike Schmidt and Carlton had taken off. So, like, at that point, you know, the, yeah. Phil- the Phillies hadn't been good forever, if ever, since, since the yeah. uh, the Wiz kids. Yeah. The Eagles were, were in the dumps, obviously, like, since, since yeah. they had Chuck Bednarik. Yeah. Uh, the Sixers, I'm not sure, because I think it was – that that was probably pre-Dr. J. So, yeah, they probably weren't that – so, like, it was a it was a championship-starved city, you know? Yeah. Finally, finally and, – and the Flyers were actually uh, – the bottom of the rung when they first came out, they they were in there. There was eight teams, and the Blues used to beat the shit out of them. And that's when Ed Slater said, "Look, I'll lose, but my players aren't going to get the crap kicked out of them." And that's when he drafted uh, Schultz and and uh, who was it, Bob the the Mad Dog or whatever, yeah, like yeah. all those guys. Hound Kelly, yeah, Bob yeah, the Hound, Hound yeah, Kelly. yeah, 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 yeah. And then, what's his face? I remember the one guy said he used to call him Machine Gun Kelly because he was <laughs> man, throwing like these fast things, and and Schultzy the Hammer. The hammer was just throwing that freaking meat claw at him. But, yeah, that's – I mean, plus two, talk about a couple of years of greatness for the city of Philadelphia. Because 74, 75, you got the Flyers. 75, 76, you got the Flyers. And Rocky came out. You oh, know? yeah. <laughs> then in 80 – then in, I think Rocky two would come out in 78 or 79. And then 1980, you got the Phillies, you know. So, like, it was – nice couple spans there and then you know you had the sixers and the eagles and the uh, eagles didn't win in the super bowl but they went and then the sixers win in 83 i believe and weaving in and all out of those years was philly's own joe smoking joe frazier smoking joe frazier (laughs) yeah okay so hockey was a big thing then uh you got like we said you got your blue belt in karate and then also during this time you were rocking out in a garage band. Now you told me the name of this band, and I'm not gonna lie, it sounded freaking awesome. So uh, please, so get the story behind it, Frank, and then hit Pete with the name, and I can't wait to see his reaction because it's pretty great. This is the late '80s, probably about two years, '88, '89, maybe '90. Um, my buddy who lived across the street from me in South Philly, his name's Vince, but I, I call him Dirty. Um, we would travel after we got our licenses out to see my cousin Steve and uh was this our, the same cousin that uh the that filmed the movie okay yep okay the ninja cousin yes yep. okay and he's actually very uh, he's an accomplished author and he's a, a history teacher so he's a really neat wow. guy he was oh, okay. so we were traveling uh, about 25 miles out to atco um once yeah. a week or so, yeah. just to play in the, in the basement or the garage. So we called it the distance. That was the name oh. of the band. <laughs> I'm not gonna He's lie. Going distance. Going the distance. That's what I. That's the whole thing. I thought I was like, that's just as far as '80s band names go. That was just fucking it. The distance, <laughs> you know, following up for you know you were following Scorpion and you know all those guys. Yeah. Followed by uh, Foreigner and Journey, we and, have the distance. <laughs> yeah, that's badass, man. That's awesome. So, all right, so let's get into some of this stuff, though. So before you were, like, I guess it was kind of in the same time frame uh, when you were in the rock band, eh, maybe a little before you were in the rock band, you were uh, roofing, right? So what? Yes. So roofing was first job, and we've talked about this before on the show, and a couple weeks ago, 
We had aired an episode with, uh, with uh, Mr. Carl Bowers where he talked about being a roofer, and we had brought this up, and, and I said this, and I stand by it, where in boxing, right, there's a saying where the only way to train for this shit is to do it. When it comes to jobs like roofing, I think it's the same damn thing. Frank, when you're roofing, how, what'd you learn? How'd you feel? How, what, what'd you think of the job? How tough was it? Let me have it, babe. I learned that it's a very hard job and that there's a lot of guys um, that have to do jobs like that their whole lives. Yep. I'm, I'm glad um, I'm not still doing that because that is tough work. Um, it's hot oh, yeah. as hell in the summer. I didn't do too much of it in the winter because I was in school. Yeah, I, I would have preferred the winter. Um, <laughs> and I did the grunt work, not complaining about it, but I had to um, chop through like, yeah. Basically a lasagna. You have roof after oh, roof, after roof yeah, yeah. and you have to rip it off, throw it down. Then I had to sweep it up. I, but I really liked working the kettle. That was fun. I got to learn to work, <laughs> learn to work the kettle, and uh, I liked ladders and carrying shit up and down ladders and pulling the and, bucket up. So it was neat too. Frank, for our suburban listeners, Philly roofs are a little bit different than those suburban roofs, aren't they? It's not just yeah. uh, pulling off some shingles and hammering back up. There's a lot of a lot of heat involved. Well, yeah, they're mostly flat tops. Yeah. Go ahead, Frank. Some A-frames, but yeah, I think 90% of what I did was probably just your your row house flat top roof where it's just um, you put the paneling down and then there's some a hot coat on top of it. Dude, that's yeah. what, I was just wondering that because I know I'm in a row home, Pete, you're in a row home, and we all you know grew up in row homes and things like that. But uh, that's the same, I was thinking the same thing, especially in South Philly, all of them is the same. It's like a tar on the roof, like a tar roof, right? It's so is tar. That, so is that what you mean when you were working the kettle? Like you're heating up the tar? Was that you? That's exact. I did some of that. That that was actually a treat to work the kettle as compared to chopping. Really? I thought that would have been, I would think the heat in the summer would make that like the worst job of them yeah, all. <laughs> but you're not on top of it the whole time. The problem uh-huh. with the kettle um, in the summer is when you, you chop through these big cylinders and if it gets, you want to do it really early in the morning, get it maybe a, with a couple chops of the axe later in the afternoon. It's like chopping through glue. Oh. You know, so there's a technique to all of it. Oh. And you don't want to get burned. And yeah. I yeah. got like little splashes here and there and it, and it burns your nerve out before you really even feel it. Yeah. I heard horror stories from the older guys. They said um, they noticed I wasn't really afraid of heights. They said, always be a little bit afraid because you're going to walk off a roof. We've seen it happen. I heard a story one time, a guy stepped in a bucket of tar and I guess the boss had a gun in the truck. He said, please, please shoot me. And they didn't Ah! shoot, but they had to get him the emergency room. So they said, you don't, you know, you got to listen to the horror stories because then you'll be careful. Oh my God. I swear, if if you like saw a chart, there would be like how careful you are versus how good you are at something. And it's like you're careful, careful, and then like you get less and less careful until something happens. Like, oh, that's why I was careful that time, you know? Like, yeah. And I never got hurt. Yeah. Hey, knock on wood, being smart there. Jesus. So wait, wait. The guy. So, oh my God. So there, the hot tar in the bucket, and the guy stepped in the bucket, and the tar just ate his damn foot. Yeah, I didn't see it. It's just an old timer story, but it, it, I could see it happen. And you oh. step off one roof onto a slightly lower roof, and the oh. there, you know, God, oh my God, dude! I so I worked in uh, I, I worked in kitchens for a long time, and there's a fryer in every kitchen, right? 
So I remember my one buddy, oddly enough, his name was Frank, and I worked with him at this place called the Pub of Penn Valley. And he told me this story where, you know, this guy at when because when you're cooking at the end of the night, before you get out, you got to clean everything. You know what I'm saying? So he had said he was cleaning the vents behind, like uh, above the fryer. And what he would do is he would put trays on top of the fryer, stand on the tray and scrub. And one night it slipped and his foot went into the fryer, right? The hot fryer. And it burned like all his shit off. His foot got stuck in between like the heating vents and he passed out from the pain. And they had to like, you know, get his, like drain it, get the leg out and call the freaking you know, call the people to come, but he was like, it was the dude, I can only imagine the tar was just as bad. If the guy's asking to be shot, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Whew. Scary stuff, man. <laughs> scary stuff. So, all right. So you're roofing You're but you were roofing kind of at a young age, 14 to 16. Were, were you say like, would you say like that you were getting in good shape? Like, you know, like you're growing, you're maturing, but like you're doing this roofing. So you're probably like freaking. Hey, you, you, hey you're hauling stuff. You're climbing ladders. Yeah. You're probably the iron Italian at this point. What yeah. I got, I got strong that summer. Yeah. Put on a little, put, put on a little muscle there. Huh? What do you I was probably about <laughs> a buck 60 at the time. Ah, buck 60. <laughs> yeah. Solid steel. That's nice. All right. What uh okay, so I will ask this because our listeners will want to know. You're from South Philly. Obviously, there's uh let's say a culture in South Philly uh that likes to cook. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Right. So do you have a spot down there that's your spot? So a friend of the show and uh uh co-host on the weekend poppin' Steve Cabot has told us that there's a, a spot down there called Dad Stuffing. That's by Potino's. That's just, he's like, this is the fucking spot. This is the spot. You want to get something, you go there. That's the spot. So it's awesome. You, oh, you've ah, been there. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a takeout place. You can't yeah. go inside and eat, but if you're having uh, something catered and you want that Italian twist to it, they're fantastic. I've gone there a few times. Yeah. He said the chicken meatballs with the crab gravy. He's like, it's out of this world. So. There you go. So Frank, what is what's the, what's your go-to sit-down restaurant in South Philly if you're yeah, going for Italian? Yeah, there's so many good I, ones. I wish I could tell you I haven't lived in South Philly in probably twenty plus year, twenty five years. Yeah. All right. So even better. So what was the place? What was the special occasion place? Like it yeah, was christenings. You had uh, first communions. You had graduations. Taking Where was the spot to go? I caught the tail end of Palumbo's and, and there's, <laughs> there's no uh, relation except maybe somewhere back in Italy, but he had a place <laughs> on ninth street, um, actually eighth street right off the Italian market. Nice. Okay. And it was the place to go from, I guess the forties all the way up until the early nineties when it closed and then it, it burnt down. Oh. Yeah. Um, Oh, oh, did it burn down for insurance purposes? Uh, some people think Italian lightning hit it. Who, who <laughs> Italian lightning? Is that what they call it? When the, when the that, insurance? I made that up. Oh, my God. That's great. Italian lightning. Oh, that's great. Okay. Tony, don't make me burn like it down. He- huh? You said you want to do business with me. This is how we do business. Yeah. But a quick funny story about that. Now, many people over the years my age or older ha- have assumed I'm, I'm some family connection. 
So an older lady called me, I guess about 10 or 15 years ago. I guess she got my number out of the phone book when we still yeah. had phone books. And <laughs> she starts going on and on, assuming um, I'm Mr. Frank Palumbo, who's long since deceased son or grandson. Yeah. Um, so she tells me, well, my husband was the band director. He died a few years ago. I'm going through all this memorabilia. I just want Frank's son or grandson to have it, if that's what you are. And she's telling me Sammy Davis, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, you, you name it. She's got pictures from the heyday, and uh, I can have it. So I had to be honest. My uh, my parents, <laughs> <laughs> my parents and grandparents raised me honestly. So I had to tell, I point her in the right direction, yeah. uh, which wasn't me, but it was. Yeah. Uh, it oh, was there's it some Palumbo still around, but I am not one of those. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough, that's a tough turn though. I'll tell you when you can get all that stuff. Like you gave me Frank a uh, couple, couple, I guess it was like a couple months ago. He gave me, so his grandfather who rest in peace, uh, recently deceased grandfather, he collected, like he had these magazines and they are old copies of Ring Magazine, which is a boxing oh, magazine yeah. that it used to be like the number one magazine in America. And the Ring Magazine Championship used to be considered the number one belt to have in boxing in your weight class. Yeah, do they still, is that still considered the linear belt where they trace it back to the original champs? Because I know you have yeah. like, there's like three belts now, but it was always like the Ring Champ was the actual linear champ. Yes, they, they, they try to at least, but yeah. yeah. Usually that's how it goes. Canelo's got it now. So, and so does Tyson. Oh, he is. Yeah. He is the pound for pound best. So I mean, Canelo is the fucking best, but yeah. And like, you know, like they they do try to keep that and they like, I'll tell you what, when it, because of the corruption in boxing for a long time, ring magazine, ring magazine was the honest, like the only honest thing in boxing. So, but either way, Frank gave me a couple of those old magazines and they're fucking flawless, man. I'll tell you, like that type of merchandise, you can't buy. I just love like the pictures going through, reading it. It was like, dude, it was awesome. I love all that stuff. But okay. So Frank, you turned down all that sweet, sweet merch from, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. and Frankie (laughs) Sinatra and all that stuff. So Palumbo's was your hot spot to eat down there. You know, that was your date spot doing whatever. Very, very tail end of it. I, I went to a place called Maris. It's still there on Passyonk Avenue. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Mussels were like one of the big food. I still like to eat mussels and clams. Oh, same here. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. A bunch of corner places. Um, I don't even know if they're all still there now or under the same name, but they were all over. Yeah, I mean, there's still a bunch of bit. Like, I think like Ralph's has been there forever, and Dante and yeah. Luigi's been there forever. A saloon, like, there's a bunch of good spots that have been, uh, you know, operating for so many years. Yeah, and that's good stuff too. Good, good stuff. Nice. I'll tell you what, nothing like finding like a good like home cooked Italian spot, man. Whew. Nothing better, brother. Nothing better, except if you find a home cooked Albanian spot. all right so let's keep it moving so like we said uh so you were roofing from like 14 to 16 you're doing that for the summers then when you were at 17 you worked at a sign shop worker at so this was in southwest philly you built wooden crates that they would put neon signs in is that right yes and it was at 65th and upland which is a heck of a ride from south philly i rode my 10 speed bike out there every day Probably about a forty minute ride and Whoa. that kept me So I Man. worked there one summer. Dude, so you so, bulked up one summer and then he trimmed down the next. Yeah. Yep. Say, yeah. Yeah. Man, oh man. So you were fucking putting in the work to get this money, huh? Yeah, you sure. weren't messing around. 
Right. So this is kind of like, it's kind of funny. Like you see these, like you'll see them like, like the one thing that comes to mind for me is the untouchables where when Kevin Costner like breaks open the wooden crates and sees the umbrellas, is that the kind of crates you were putting together, Frank? Pretty much. They could be a couple feet in length uh, or they could be 10 feet long. They had to be sturdy enough uh, not to break uh, when you're transporting the, the neon, which was in a metal case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like doing that. That wasn't as bad as being a roofer. Yeah. Did you put it together with like actual tools or was it an assembly line or how'd it go? No, nah, just uh there was like a crate shop section of the of the shop and uh had different size and lengths of wood and, and saws and pneumatic mail gun nail guns and Oh wow. Nice. When uh, when cardboard was invented, there was there were riots. They were like, "This is BS! <laughs> you're stealing our jobs." You're like, "Do you think uh, this cardboard could protect this neon? You're out of your fucking mind, pal." Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Frank? No, I, I stayed there one one year, and uh, I was going to try to go back the next year, but I got hired by UPS. Okay, all right. So let's move on. Who was on that. the forefront of cardboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You absolutely the wooden crates, number one enemy. <laughs> Are you going to protect the fragile objects? Yeah, 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 yeah. Those nice fragile things are going to get crushed in this cardboard. You still not? It's Italian, fragile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's a classic. Okay, so let's get into this. So uh, former guest of the show, friend of the show, and your and me and your friend, Frank, Don Lyons, used to work at UPS. And he kind of did the same. He had brought up something that you actually did. So when Don Lyons was on the show, he had brought up how uh, the there was like, guys that would unload the trucks, put the stuff on like an assembly line, and then it would go down the assembly line. It would go to people that would sort the packages, right? And he's telling us, he's like, look, these guys are so good. They were like behind the back throwing. They know where everything goes. Boom, 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 boom. It's all color-coded and things like that. And they're just flying, putting all these things in the right place and like just quick, 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 right? And that's kind of what you were doing because you worked, so you were UPS for like four years. You started by loading trucks, and then you were sorting packages. Is that right? Yeah, I actually, I did some unloading of the trailers. I um, loaded trucks. I sorted, uh, like you were just talking about. And the last few months that I was there, I actually had a driving route. Oh, ah. very nice. So you, dude, so. You were working your way up. Yeah, well, like, if yes. you look at your three first jobs, you were roofing. You're working at the sign shop where you had to ride 40 minutes on your damn bike just to get there. And now you're you're lugging packages at UPS. Like these are three manual labor jobs that you must have been just the most jacked Italian 18 year old in South Philly at the time. You know, hey, jacked. I was always in shape. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing the karate. You're in shape. You're going to Palumbo's with the ladies. Things are going all right. You know, so. Nice. So, okay. So you're working at UPS, right? So you started by loading trucks, but then can you kind of go over how the sorting packages things works? Cause this is fascinating to me. Cause this is something that was developed out of necessity. Like UPS started just this, you know, this delivery thing that blows up into this international brand that has to invent all these workflows just to keep up with the demand. And this is one of those things that they had to invent. So how does the sorting go? Can you kind of give us a like a layout of how it went? Sure. Everything comes in on tractor trailers. And there's guys unloading those onto a 
giant conveyor belt. They go to a um, like a big metal ramp and they slide down, you know, gravity method and yep. there'll be a, an address on it and that'll have a zip code on it. Uh-huh. And this giant carousel, we called it with multiple, I forget how many exactly different colored bins there are metal bins with the, uh, you know, red, blue, green, black, white, what have you, mm-hmm. they all correspond to certain areas of the city. Okay. So you have to be really good at knowing quickly what address corresponds to what color. And then the guys a little farther down that are loading these package cars, you know, the brown trucks yeah. you see on the streets, yeah, they are pulling out of their color, red or white or whatever, uh, for their trucks. Oh, Okay. So you're sorting. So you're just like any color goes into that to where it's supposed to go. Then yep. there's a guy that's specifically assigned to red. So every time he sees a red package, takes it, goes in the truck. And then there's another guy assigned to yellow. And every time he sees a yellow, takes it. Okay. So you're kind of supplying like all those guys. So it kind of, if, if by accident you do put it in the wrong slot, the guy's like, hey, yellow, I got your orange over here. Fucking boom, there you go. So they can kind of like, you know, like they kind of can it can monitor it that way. If a Except for Jeff, made. who's colorblind and is scared to tell anybody. And he just sit there putting the wrong packages <laughs> in the wrong bins 21st. Like, God damn it, Jeff. Yeah. And you're still waiting for your goddamn cannolis to get delivered. You motherfucker, you. Yeah. So. <laughs> so nice. So what did you think, man? Uh, we've we've had a we had Don talk about UPS. This is another job. This is a tough job. What was your shift? Did you have to work graveyard or what? I did work graveyard for most oh. of the time I was there. And then when I started driving, that was kind of an eight to four with, with a lot of overtime built in. All right, fans, time for a break in the action to bring back one of our favorite segments. This is Give It a Shot with our good friend, Bob Quinn. If you're sick of wasting time surfing on a streaming service, finding nothing, and then going to another streaming service and doing the same damn thing, then you need to start giving shit a shot. In this segment, our good friend Bob Quinn will give us some suggestions on what to start watching so we stop wasting time surfing and start enjoying those subscriptions that we've been stealing. Bob, give us a shot. Coming at you with this cop drama, Mayor of Easttown out of HBO with episodes of about one hour. This show is a good show. Psychological thriller, even some would say. What I'm saying is, give it a shot. All right. That was Give It a Shot with our good friend Bob Quinn. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I, did, I didn't do that long. I uh, got the letter to go to the police academy. So had you been at the police academy been uh, a plan for a long time and, and you were just waiting on it? Or did something like make you want to apply to become a, a police officer? What, what was, how did that matriculate? I had the idea of being a cop probably, you know, during the middle ages, uh, middle ages, middle eighties. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the middle ages. Now the, the middle eighties around my ninja period. I was also watching those um, not fantastic by today's uh, analysis, uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Oh, yeah. yeah, dude, lethal weapon, MacGyver, all of that, bro. Come exactly. On. And my uncle um, retired, I guess, about 15 years ago now. He made it to the rank of lieutenant colonel, which is the oh, second highest wow. rank in the Jersey State Police. So oh, wow. my, my uncle's a great guy. I admired him. I still do. Yeah. Um, 
So I wanted to do that, but you have to take a, a test and there's a process and you guys are probably way too young to remember this, but 1990, um, the city was bankrupt and oh, yeah. their state supervision <laughs> and everybody was under a hiring freeze. So it held me up for a while, probably about almost two years. And I had to take certain parts of the process over again. So I wound up actually getting hired in November of 1991. Ah. So, it's so the distance had been done. You're like, look, we've taken the distance as far as it can go. Yeah. Uh, the ninja field isn't hiring, and now it's time <laughs> to protect and serve the city of brotherly love. So yeah. let's get into this then. So this is this is the heavy shit that we wanted to talk about. So this has been your calling. This is 30 years almost. So in November, it'll be 30 years that yes. you've been protecting, you know, protecting, protecting and serving, you know, not just Philadelphia, but the nation, because that's what police do. And it's a 24-7 job to protect and serve. So... One, we'd like to thank you for all the things you've done as a police officer. We support the police on this show very much. Big fans of the police here. So I do want to say, you, like you said, you took the test. Now, there's processes in taking the test, and you took the test initially. But because of the freeze, right, like you were saying, you had to retake a couple things. Can you kind of go over what are the things that make up the test and, and how to get in? And this was back in 91. I know it's probably a little different now. But what would you, it's not like you show up, you write your name down, say, hi, I'm Frank, send it in. And then they call you like, what is, what's going on in the, in the testing process back then, at least. It's a, an aptitude test. They actually give you a booklet in advance of taking the test. I guess it was a few weeks or so in advance of taking the test. So if you study the booklet, um, you read it a few times, you really should do well. And, yeah. and I did. Yeah. So, so they're I, not trying to get you. They're not like, oh, no. we'll see you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not a gotcha kind of thing. And then uh, there's a psych test. They ask you some questions that are kind of bizarre, but if, if unless you're crazy, you should be able to answer them. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, do you dream often about Satan and uh, yeah. do you want to kill people? Yeah. Things like that. And of sure, course, which I, everyone says yes to, right? That's right. A, exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, so, I, I, I remember. Uh, so one of the guys at the gym, uh, uh, he's a state, I won't say his name. He's a state, he's a state trooper, a PA state trooper. And he had told me about that, the psyche bound there asking you questions like have you ever thought about sleeping with an animal and like you know what i mean like all that kind of stuff at least on his maybe he said yes to that i don't know but you know so either way you're doing the psyche valve sorry i interrupted you so you do the psyche no valve problem. and then what's after that um i'm not sure if it's an exact order but um you have you have to take a a, a urinalysis test yeah. uh, they want to make sure you're not yep. using narcotics yep you got piss clean yep sure and um, there's a polygraph test and yeah. there is a very important um, there's the background book you have to fill out and you can't lie in it. Um, at least you can't get caught lying in it, because if you do, they tell you right then and there it's grounds for you being thrown out of the process. Like and oh, they'll yeah. even tell you, like, um, have you ever smoked weed? And just tell us the truth. And it's not like a necessarily it's a, it's not a killer as far as you being considered, but you can't lie about it. If your neighbors say, yeah, he's on a stuff smoking weed all day. And we find uh, out that's the truth. You're, you're done. Yeah. So, you know, it was fair. You, you just yeah. had to be just be honest, honest with them. Yeah. And uh, I got held up for a while. It was, it was a little bit of a hard slog and I, I got on. Nice. And, so, and I just want to throw out, since we are the working perspective, that, that goes for like some jobs, you know, they have these background checks. And if you have something, admit it. 
because if if you if you don't do it right away, like you can still get hired. But if they find out you're lying, you're done. Like any risk departments are like, this guy lied, it's over, we're not hiring him. Agreed. So it, you know, like you can always make up for mistakes, but you just got to be honest about it. Yeah. yeah, to to an extent, like um, if you're honest, well, yeah, about, to an extent, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like if you say I I dealt drugs, hard drugs, um, yeah. You're, yeah, you're done. I I did a robbery, you're you're done. Things yeah, like that. well, yeah. and that's what we're trying to weed out anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But nice. All right, so so like you said, also, and this is part of like the development of your character. Like, let's think about it. You're 14 and 16. You're working hard on roofs all day. Then you're 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 17. You're riding 40 minutes on your bike to go to work at the sign shop. Then you're 18. You're hauling packages and sorting packages. And eventually, you're so reliable that they give you a truck, right? And then eventually, you take the test, and it's two years that you're fucking pulling your pud because the freeze on everything. So you're kind of like, you know, god damn, you're just going through the frustration. But this is just, and like I brought up earlier when we talked about your fight, it's just your perseverance, man. You see something and it's nonstop till you get it. And that's to be commended. And that should also be told to the young kids listening to this. Like, look, it's not going to happen overnight. And there's going to be bumps in the road and you got to get past it and you got to work through it. You got to be patient, but you have to stay stay diligent and stay on the course. You know what I mean? Because you could have flaked off at any time in that process when they weren't hiring you say, ah, buzz off. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Oh, you stop. You're freaking yanking my chain, all this stuff, but you didn't do it. And you stuck with it. And look at you now 30 years later and still doing great. So let's do it. Let's move on then. Right. So you moved on and then you got accepted into the Academy, right? So this is November 91. You started at the police Academy. So what was the first day of the police Academy? Like, it kind of looks like what you see in movies when um, th- those kids get off the bus and the, and the DI's yelling at them. Oh, okay. Ah. Yeah. So kind and, of, it's kind of like a, uh, what's that? Uh, what's the Vietnam movie? Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, they weren't cursing at us or punching us in the stomach or anything even close to it, yeah. but uh, they got my attention. Yeah. So it wasn't police academy. It wasn't a voluptuous blonde that was braiding it. Oh, him. baby. No, <laughs> not, 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 not at that point. Oh, baby, man. So, so uh, go ahead. It, sorry, it's, Frank. It, that's all right. Um, it, it lightened up. I mean, it stayed that way for a couple more days and, and it was never um, an easy atmosphere, but it, it wasn't that intense. Yeah, you just had to follow the rules. The rules were never unfair, and I, I couldn't believe I was making. I forget what what the pay was. It was in the thirty thousand plus range at the time. So I'm I'm a this kid. This is in ninety one. Yeah, this is ninety one. Might have been twenty eight thousand, and when I graduated, sure. it was in it was in the mid thirties. That's like, like sixty thousand nowadays, babe. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I just had to follow some rules and be on time, and and most of it's classroom stuff. Yeah. So do you think that kind of developed the attitude of like the police now? Cause I feel like at least my experience with the, the police and law enforcement has been like, look, there's rules, follow the rules. No problem. Break the rules. Fucking this is what happens. And it's kind of like, that's kind of like what the drill sergeant kind of set the first or the, the you know, the drill instructor set the first day. It's like, look, follow the rules. Then we'll be fine. Start and, breaking and the rules. This is when I'm cracking heads. You know, right? And like that's kind of how it should be. But you had brought up when we were talking, and you said there was some physical stuff, but a lot of it you said was like courses that you were taking. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, law courses, Pennsylvania crimes code, um, like social stuff, um, a little little bit of history of the police department. Um, and, and were you being tested on all this stuff? Like, oh, yeah. Fail the test out of the academy kind of thing? Um, it, it wasn't like that abrupt, like you, you would have a chance to, okay. um, to take a makeup test or they, they worked with you. They, yeah. they definitely, the goal definitely was not, um, to have like half the class wash out like, uh, the Navy SEALs or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as, as long as you did what you had to do and you made an effort, I think everybody in my class, I, I guess there were 30 or 40 people. They, I think they, they all got through. Oh, nice. All right. Good. And that's 30, 30 to 40 good cops on the street. And that's great. And that makes the city a safer and better place as far as in my opinion. Sure. So, so you're doing your courses, you're learning about the law, then you would get some PT. And then when did they bring in like gun training? Is that towards the end or the beginning? Or where does that come in? The guns were almost towards the end. You went to the range for two weeks. That that was all you did. Yeah. And, and I had only shot a gun i think once or twice before my dad took me to a range when i was about 12 or 13 yeah and from what i understand people that really don't have any um experience shooting a gun um sometimes do better because you're learning from scratch being taught by real real pros Uh, no uh no bad habits have formed yep no and i did really well you know I i was a good shot and i still am Hey, there you go. That's something to be, I mean, I'll tell you what, it does, you know, being pretty, pretty good at that's not a bad thing to be, you know what I'm saying? Do you remember what gun you uh, learned with at the academy? Was there a specific it, gun everyone came up with? It was a th- 38, a revolver. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, baby. And I got rid of it pretty quickly. They were actually allowing you to purchase, if you wanted on your own, a, a, a Glock. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, nine millimeter. Yeah. Yep. So I went out and bought a Glock, but then I think a class or two after I graduated, there was no more option to um, have a revolver. Well, they weren't issuing revolvers. You could still keep your revolver. If you had it, it was yours, but. Yeah, but I got the Glock and, well, there's actually still a few revolvers on the street. There's a handful of them are, of around. They haven't ever taken them away from the older guys and girls. That, oh, that wow. Learned on them in the 80s and, you know, prior. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's pretty cool. And and honestly, uh, Frank's going to have a real interesting twist on guns in the police department later down the line. That's going to be really cool. So let's keep this moving, though. So you get through the academy. You crush it. Uh, where are you, so you, you gra- after you graduate, where do you go? Like, how is it, do they just, it's kind of like they, from what, from what I gathered, at least with you is like, they, they put you where they need you. Right. Is that how it goes? Yes. And I went to the 26th district and that's basically Fishtown, lower North Philly, parts of Kensington, the river wards, the river wards. And, and I had guys coming yeah. up to me and saying, Frank, did you have help? Uh, you know, you have some connection or something I'm like why is that that's a great place and i'm thinking like i think the crime i heard it's pretty bad there and yeah. <laughs> and i found out what they meant like if you're a young cop you you want to go out and get involved in stuff you you, you want to make robbery arrests and stolen cars and things like that but you don't want to be necessarily in an environment where there's never something different to get involved in like a, a slower section, like Fishtown, um, you know, where there's nowhere to eat or uh, 
or, or just have a little bit of a change of pace. So the 26th district had everything. Now, now it's kind of gentrified. It's much more gent. It was just starting when I got there, but it, it was yeah. really, really rough when I got there. But yeah, I think that's it. Like, I, I don't think people realize because, like, now, yeah, Fishtown, Northern Liberties, that area is like, you know, the hip new place to be. Um, and I lived there for a couple of years. I loved it. But yeah, like, I remember when I was a kid, like, yeah, that was considered, like, hey, that's where you want to go get your drugs was Kensington yeah. Fishtown area. Like, uh, it was a little, little sketchy. But yeah. well, well, it's a so, huge area of the city. So, it's, yeah, it's but still, you were, but you were kind of on the side of that. Like, like you could patrol the river. You could patrol, like, there was some night, like, you had some nice, like, it's kind of like where it is in the Northeast now, where it's like one block is freaking nice as hell. The next block is shit. The next block is nice as hell. The next block is shit. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, was that kind of like where you were at, where it's like there was some spots, but there was some nice places to patrol and wasn't a bad place to be. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it was actually like a really good learning ground, would you say? Yeah, it, it was exactly like that. Like almost all of the shootings, for example, happened like west of the L yeah okay yeah under on the other side of the app right yes yeah so okay nice so when when you're there do you remember your first day as as a patrolman i do i remember it pretty well oh baby dude would you mind sharing i i don't mind at all um i'm probably going to stay away from mentioning names but they're oh, yeah, put, of course. Of course. <laughs> they're going to put you with somebody. I, I found that it was only going to be two days that, that they put me with a veteran. But they put ah. me with an older guy, and, and he was kind of a, he was a nice guy. He was kind of a disgruntled guy. I heard he had had some problems, uh, maybe been tr- treated not entirely fairly at some point in his career. And I wanted to, yeah. like, do some police work. And, uh, yeah. I said, can we make a car stop? You know, somebody going through a red light or, or whatever the case might be. And he really didn't want to. Yeah. And at some point a car uh, ran a red light or did something illegal. And he yelled at the window at them, uh, <laughs> probably using some choice words. He says, you happy kid, that's your car stop. Jesus. So, <laughs> well, he was, so he Left was him with no of- choice. It was blatant. He had to be like, oh, yeah. this is, you know what (laughs) you little whippersnappers yeah so but but he was kind of like on his way out and he kind of had a bat he he kind of felt like uh he was unjustly treated some some way so he was just not motivated to do good police work and you're fresh out of the academy like hey i'm here to do i want to do this i want to protect and serve and all that and he kind of just he just wasn't with it is that right yeah, I mean, he he was fine. Yeah. Um, there were guys like that, but they were also keeping you out of trouble. And they, yeah. in, in between the disgruntled stuff, they were they were giving you some good advice. Well, so yeah, because yeah. I, I guess it's one of those things, like especially that time in Philly, right? Like Philadelphia had had a population decline from fifty until two thousand. So like ninety sure. is like you know peak decline uh, across the U.S. It was also peak violent crime, right? Violent crime had been rising yeah. from the sixties up until the mid nineties. So you're kind of like getting there. And so, like, the older guys kind of, like, maybe knew, like, this is worth pursuing, this isn't yeah. worth pursuing, kind of, like, that's where the, you kind of get the touch on police work is, you don't, yeah. you're not going to go after everything, you have to know what to go after, kind of a, a situation. No, no, you're you're exactly right, and uh, when you work in a high crime area, not not that the smaller stuff's not important, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard of broken windows theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Th- Hold on, some... uh, I, I haven't. What is the broken windows theory? Basically, um broken windows just for for one example of neighborhood blight if there's a neighborhood where it's just acceptable that windows are broken or there's trash all over a lot and the street lights are out it 
appears to the people that live there that nobody cares. And it appears to, to, to criminals that nobody cares. Uh, and maybe the cops and the government don't care. So we can do a robbery here. We can do a shooting. We can sell drugs. Uh. So you repair the broken windows and, and some of the underlying root causes of, of crime. Uh, Giuliani's famous for it in New York. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry to interrupt. So you were... No, it's fine. So, okay, so you, the broken window theory, what comes after? So go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, so we we used a lot of discretion uh, mm-hmm. when I was a cop. Like, where I worked, it was almost cultural among some of the younger people not to have a driver's license not to have insurance not not to have registration just cars were driving around some of them were were falling apart and if you got in an accident and and you were the type of person that had insurance and had had your credentials together there was almost nothing i had to tell you ma'am sir like i guess you could sue the guy if i can get the right name off him but um and that changed later you you get what we call livestock now you have to have your stuff together in philly for like the last 20 years or so but yeah if somebody um, made you know an honest mistake um, driving and, and they were polite and they got the message, we kind of had a code. They weren't getting a ticket, uh, and you weren't giving them a hard time berating them. You know, so nobody even takes the time to have their car registered, and they're arrogant and they just don't get the point you're trying to make about yeah. you know blowing the red light. Then you're going to give them a ticket. But we we had like a code. It didn't matter what color you are, uh, what gender, uh, what ethnicity, like. Everybody I worked with, I never saw anybody go out to give anybody for any improper reason a hard time. We we were kind of yeah. just live and let live, and, and we we picked our battles. Like yeah. you're not getting away with a robbery, a shooting, a stolen car, but hey, you're on your way to work and something happens, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, a guy having a beer on his porch or something. And technically, it's a citation, but but come on, there's there's bigger problems going on. That's yeah. that's what those older guys taught me. That's great. So you really did have a great veteran presence in the first, and it was the 26th district. Is that right? You were it, was first, the, it was the 26th district. So you really did have a great veteran presence. And I remember when we were talking, you had said the veterans told you like, look, before you go to the Sergeant, come to us first, right? Like talk yeah. to your veterans, talk to your fellow patrolmen. Maybe they can help you. If you need to go to the Sergeant, that's one thing they'll tell you to, but a lot of times they wanted to help you get through the stuff and teach you and show you and all that stuff. And honestly, that's what like, so Mike Vrabel, right. He's quoted in saying when he was on the new England Patriots, who arguably are the greatest dynasty in the history of all sports. Right. You shut but, your whore mouth, <laughs> but he's on the new England Patriots. And he had said, he's like, what the best teams are the teams where the veterans are grooming the young guys to take their job right? Those are the best teams. And this is that scenario where these veteran cops, they're like, look, you're coming up. We're going to be working with you. You're, we're going to need you to have our back. We're going to have your back. This is how shit is run here. This is how we do it. We're going to show you this is the right way. This is the wrong way. This is what to look for. And honestly, that's honestly an education you can't get anywhere else. On the job training like that, baptism under fire, that's the best way to learn. And honestly, I bet that has a lot to do with the longevity of your career. Would you agree with that? I I do agree. Very good. Very good. So nice. All right. So let's keep it moving. You're in the 26th. You're there for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, what I did want to ask this, right? So what is like a day like? So you go there, right? So we had talked about this where you can't look like a slob going into the, going into the precinct. So 
let's say you have your shift starts at 8 a.m. We'll say then this is just for instance, this is just an example. Your shift starts at 8 a.m. You have to be at the precinct before 8 a.m. So you got to be there 745, right? At, at least. Then you have to get go to the locker room. You have to get dressed in your police attire and everything like that and have all your stuff taken care of and looking sharp. Then roll call is at 8 a.m. You have to go to roll call. That's where the sergeant is going to be like, all right, you and you, you're, you know, you're 27. You and you, you're 35. You and you, you're blah, blah, blah. And they're just give, they're assigning you a car that will patrol a certain area of your district. Is that right? That's almost exactly right. Nice. Okay. You got it. So then what back then, right, when you first started and even maybe a little before, you, you had talked about a couple things. You had talked about hot sheets and you had talked about pulling someone over before technology. So what are <laughs> the hot sheets? A hot sheet is a list of license plates that have been re- reported stolen uh, recently. Oh. So you can get the hot sheet every day. It, it'll be on, they'll, they'll print plenty of them. Everybody should take one. And they also have wanted posters up on the bulletin boards. If there is is one crime Philadelphians are known for, it is uh, stealing cars. And they are good at it. (laughs) Yeah. Carjacking is a thing. It's a freaking pastime around here. That and stealing stealing the airbag out of a Honda Civic. I think we invented that here. Anything from a Honda Civic. Converter. Yeah, the catalytic converters are the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, I, I have a buddy that works for Park and Racks, and he said one time he saw them. You know, like you always like think, like how do they get the car on the uh, the the uh, the milk crates? And he said he just saw them. They just start rocking the car, and they get off the nuts, and then they shift it up real quick. Shift it. It's like two minutes, and he's like, I've never saw anything like it. Like they got those four wheels in a matter of two minutes before anybody could have come came and seen them. I've yeah. heard something like that. I've never seen it happen, but I've heard it. That's unreal. <laughs> that is unreal, man. I mean, you know. When you practice something enough, you get pretty good at it. Okay. So, okay. So the hot sheets is just a list of like wanted people and stolen cars and things like that. And you said back in the day, you would kind of write it out and hang it up in your car or put it in your, 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 uh, your visor, right? Your, you know, your sun visor at the, you know, whatever the hell that's called, you would put it in there, you know, and have the list. And so if something's going down, maybe we'll check this out. Maybe we'll check this out. Things like that. Now it's kind of all, you have like a center console that has all that stuff. But prior to having the center console, what was like doing a ticket like? Do you remember? It's still pretty much done the same way, although they're they're gradually going online where you could write them on your mobile data computer now. Yeah. But it, a, a ticket up until like really recently and still to some extent now is exactly the same as it was, you know, when I came on. Um it's just a really simple one page document. You just put the basic info on there and you got you keep a copy and the guy or girl gets his copy. Yeah. And you're not it's tougher to run like the information in the center console like when there wasn't one. You kind of just took their info and write it down kind of thing. Well, it all went through the dispatcher. Like if you were going oh, to yeah, check check to see if somebody was wanted, you just gave the inf- information to the dispatcher and if when you're Telling the dispatcher the person's name, you don't want to be an earshot. Um, yep. Because if it comes back, so and so is wanted for whatever. You um, don't want the onion field uh, creeping yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. 
Right. You don't necessarily want to have everybody a stop handcuffed in advance and, and, and make it that dramatic. So yeah. is that Frank, is that still like, I, I, you know, I have some friends that are cops and I always thought that like the most dangerous thing was the traffic stop. Cause you're not sure who you're dealing with or what's going on. And that was always the big thought. Like, you know, like when you're stopping someone have that, like, like, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. It's not a uh, secure. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I think it's true. I think the stats always bear that out when, when they take a look at it, that the, the traffic stops are the, the most dangerous action. Yeah. I could see that. I dude, especially if you're fucking got a hot car or something, you you're, you've already served some time and you want to go back and you got a gun on you and the cop doesn't know. That is fucking yeah. dangerous, man. Yeah, and they, like, it, in a surprise. Yeah, and, and, and it kind of goes back to almost like the roofing thing, where it's kind of like you've been doing this routine thing, and you kind of get comfortable with it when it, you know, it can be a dangerous situation. Whereas if you're called on a domestic disturbance, you're kind of like already like, okay, these people are, are hyped up. Whereas yeah. if you think you're pulling someone over for a routine ticket, you, you don't think they're going to take it a big deal. But if if they're wanting for something, they're they're taking that as a big deal. Dude, exactly. Weak. Yeah, that's dude. So it's life on your toes, man. My God. So. Okay, so let's keep it moving then. So, well, like, uh, I had this question. So as far as a dispatcher, right, is the dispatcher the same person every time, or do you get, like, assigned to dispatch in the roll call? Um, I'm not sure exactly how they do it, but they're at at police headquarters. We rarely see them. Oh, You get to know their voices. Yeah. um, And you become familiar with, like I guess uh, a limited number of them. Yeah. And, and they get familiar with the area that they're regularly assigned to. Yeah. All right. That's cool. All right. Nice. Okay. So let's keep it moving. Right. So you're in the 26, things are going good. Uh, then, uh, you know, you, you like you you learned right away not to not get out of the car without having them turn off. Like if you're pulling someone over, I remember you said this, the number one thing, don't get out of the car until they turn the car off. Right. Yes. Number one thing. Right. So you got that. And then you is this before. Uh, so you're in the 26. Did you get bumped up to detective at this point or no? I was a patrol officer for almost four years. I uh-huh. took a test. I did really well. Um, it's an aptitude test. I, I got promoted to detective and okay. I went to generally the same area, East detective division that covers all the districts in that part of the city. Okay. I did that for about 10 months. Oh, nice. All right. So you're doing like the detective stuff for a little bit. How did you like detective work? I did not like it in comparison to every other job I have. I, yeah. I think it's probably a good job yeah. if that's what you want to do. Yeah. It was just an overwhelming amount of paperwork for me. And, I, and uh. I'm good at paperwork, but <laughs> if, I, if I could avoid it on a daily basis to the extent detectives have to get involved with it, I will. Yeah. Frank, you come off as a people person. You wanted to walk that beat and know your constituents, right? You wanted to – Yes. <laughs> so, he, yes, I, I would agree. And honestly – and we brought this up when we were talking. Frank had bounced around, I think, to five schools before he went to high, three, four or five schools before he went to high school. So he was the new kid at school for a bunch <laughs> of years. So I think that helped him in learning, like, all right, you meet new people, you be polite. Like, because when you started coming to the gym, right away, you're hitting it off with everybody and you're, you know, you're just a, pl- a pleasant guy talking and, you know, you're not disrespectful and you're polite and nice to everybody. You know what I mean? And I think that people that's understated nowadays where people are so socially awkward and things like that, where it's as long as you're polite and nice and, you know, listen and can communicate well, it's not difficult to be like, you know, it's it you can get away with being a people person, even if you're a little socially awkward. But 
for you, Frank, and this is something I did want to bring up. So you you leave being a detective and you're bumped up to sergeant, right? Yes. And when you're bumped up to sergeant, you specifically asked to be moved to the 25th district, a.k.a. Yeah. the Badlands, right? And this is, uh, Frank, is this Temple area? It, like north, right? North? Temple is, yeah, Temple um, borders it. Like the 25th goes over to Broad Street. Yeah. Okay. Basically over to You're like the, the 23rd Diamond area is, right? That is actually the 22nd. Once you get west of Broad Street, it's no longer the 25th. Okay. okay. I think, east yeah, I think I, I get, the, I think I got the 25th and the 22nd mixed up. <laughs> okay. So Just you, as bad. Yeah, <laughs> so you're in the 25th, AKA the Badlands, right? It's a notorious area. In, it's a notorious area in the world as far as danger and crime and corruption and things like that. But you asked specifically as a sergeant to be sent there, right? And was this your first kind of uh, like leadership role when like you're made it, you went to detective, but then you went to sergeant. Sergeant, I'm assuming, is somewhat of a leadership role. And was this the first time? in a leadership role and then asking to go to the most dangerous district in the city? Yeah, it, it was. I had never been a supervisor in any other jobs I ever worked at. So it was. Man, so that's, I'll tell you what, that's a fucking leader. <laughs> in my. So I will say this, and I brought it up in the story when talking about you, like the about the fight that, you know, I cornered for you, the cop fight. And I'll say this. There is a lot you can tell about a guy by how their subordinates like behave with you. Right. So, like I said, the guys wouldn't leave you alone. You are, from what I viewed, at least you're a player's coach. You're a buddy Ryan, Rex Ryan kind of guy where your, your guys will fucking fall on their sword for you whenever, because they know you got their back. You have their best interests at heart. You won't screw them. You're honest with them. You give them the tough love, but also you do the right thing by them. And I could see that when dealing with, you know, when dealing with your crew and and your subordinates and things like that. As a leader, that's a lot to be said, because I'll tell you this, and I bet there's a bunch of people listening that had their supervisor been about to be in a boxing match, I bet they would pay to see their supervisor <laughs> get hit instead of support them and want them to win and, and want them to rise to challenge and do good. You know what I mean? Like there, hey, there's Frank, Frank Slow, he's weak on the left. Go go for the left. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Had it had it been a couple of bosses, I know some people know that they would have been putting doping up your water. You know what I mean? Like they would have had you all boozed, like all done up so you couldn't see out of your left eye when you're out there just so you get beat, you know, get beat up. But that's not what happened. You're everyone was very supportive of you. They're really rallying in their corner. You had a great, great fan base and like your subordinates were very supportive and really like after you and, and following you. And you could tell like you're, you're, you know, you're very liked by your men and women that you, uh, that you were a sergeant over. So I think that comes from like, I, I feel like part of leadership is that one, you have to work the hardest, right? Like you can't ask people to do something that you aren't willing to do yourself. So you signing up to go to the 25th district to be in the shit with the people, with the patrolmen and things like that, that says a lot about your character and your leadership skills. So when you get to the 25th district, you're a brand new sergeant. This is the first time in a supervisor position. You've been a cop for like five years at this point, maybe. 
what is a day in the life like? Would you remember your first day as a sergeant in the 25th or anything like that? Yeah, I, I do. It was um, what was I'm drawing a blank on the month. I think it was January. Jesus Christ. Remember that shit. Yeah. It was it was really cold out. There was an ice storm and there's cars crashing into everything. Oh, oh. So it was like ninety five or ninety four. <laughs> Yeah, around ninety five, yeah, 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 early ninety six. Yeah, yeah. I remember because we had the yeah. we we had that giant ice storm in between those two giant blizzards. It was Blizzard yeah, ninety three, yeah. Blizzard ninety six, and in between was that giant ice storm. Oh, I That's remember right. that too, dude. It, it iced over everything. Everything yeah. we were all well, covered. So nobody was getting shot that night necessarily, but I was <laughs> I was managing all kinds of accidents. Bad weather is great for crime. Problems well, all it. over the district. <laughs> well, okay. So real quick though have uh, you're saying no one's getting shot during a snowstorm but have you seen disputes over parking spaces yeah absolutely because i've almost killed a motherfucker myself that he moved my fucking chair and i'll tell you what no that's a rule that should we're we're living in a post chair world matt (laughs) no the chair still lives in my neighborhood the chairs thrive all right it's it's leaving (laughs) no if you move my chair just know your teeth are getting knocked out and that's a city-wide phenomenon that's not just uh relegated to the the traditionally rougher districts that could happen anywhere yeah parking spots are scarce oh yeah oh yeah especially during a blizzard babe and if you take dude it ain't easy shoveling out your spot. Tell you that right now. You know what I mean? You well, shovel well, out your well, spot and some fucking. My favorite is in South Philly where they put up the uh, no parking signs because something's happening on the areas they're not allowed to park on. I'm like, only in South Philly where they go down the middle of Broad and say, you can't park here this week. I'm like, you can't park there any week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't be able to park in the middle of a major road. What's the, yeah. I don't know when this is, but I know too, Pete. And I, I mean, I don't, do you, do you have a car now? Right, I thought you. Got I rid got of rid of my car like eight years ago. Yeah, I, I went car wife... free when I was. Was that my wife does have a car? Yes, yeah. Okay, but in Manyunk and Roxborough, the parking there, especially during a snowstorm, holy shit, that's some rough stuff. Because you're on uh, the I, hill, I, I just remember. Oh yeah, the hills, the hills, but like uh, the amount of parking spaces, I don't think it's. It doesn't beat South Philly or the River no, Wards. No, There's no right. parking there. You're right. You're right. It's so tight there. The roads are so tight. So, okay. So, sorry. We kind of went off on a bird walk in there talking about bastards who removed someone's chair after they shoveled their spot. Those people, <laughs> they're going to be in hell uh, and they're going to burn in hell and they should burn in hell because they're bastards. So, if that's, you know what? That's something that uh, uh, Captain Jerkbeard, a.k.a. Asshole, a.k.a. Tom Lavelle, that's something he would do. He would move he your would. chair out of the spot you shoveled out. That's the kind of bastard he is. <laughs> He's the kind of bastard that buys someone's show, buys the right someone's show out from underneath him. So, either way, you're in the 25th district. You're a sergeant. What's a day in the life like for for Sergeant Frankie Palumbo of the 25th, the fighting 25th district? It's kind of like what you described, but on the opposite. I'm giving out the assignments now instead of getting the assignments. Yeah, making the assignment sheet usually a day in advance, making sure the guys and girls know there's somebody out there that that's a, a shooter, uh, passing out those hot sheets, and then. I'm a street guy, so I, I tried to spend most of my day out there on the street with the cops. No shit. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's something I did want to ask because you don't have to, like, like necessarily, you can stay back and do paperwork and things like that and kind of find a reason not to go on the street. But you, and I know your character, 
you're out in the street and you're you're in the shit with your guys because like we said you're not going to ask them to do something you wouldn't do yourself and you wanted to know that their sergeant was there to have their back and things like that that's fucking that's something i'll tell you what you don't see that in all in all leadership roles and that's something that you should be very proud of that you were willing to do that and sacrifice for your men and women underneath you and you should be very proud of that Right. Yeah. How did that work? Like if you were going out, like how would you spend yeah. your day on the streets as the sergeant? You're supposed to sign everybody's patrol log. Every cop keeps a patrol log. So okay. you want to go check the log out and make sure they're doing some police work, like responding to radio calls, 911 calls in their, their sector. Um, it's impossible to go. We don't have quotas, yep. but it's impossible <laughs> to go through a day without seeing something. Somebody's illegally yeah. parked. Somebody ran a red light. And like yeah. I said, you don't have to hammer people, but you, you, you should at least be engaging in people to try to keep crime down. Uh, occasionally you're going to expect that somebody's going to make an arrest for something, uh, you know, stolen car, drugs, whatever the case might be. So yeah. if, a cop, if a cop's doing nothing, it's not a good idea. Um, so you're basically checking that they're doing their job all day. Yeah. Okay. But you're not hovering and you're not like, you're not like overmanaging. You're just kind of there just to make sure things are right. You know, like, okay, there was a shooter, you know, a homicide in this, in this part of the district last week. Let's just roll by there and make sure everything's smooth with these guys. All right. This person had some trouble with this last week. Let's roll by there and make sure everything's smooth with that person you know, you heard that this was happening in this area. Let's just make sure everything's smooth over there. Or right? Dom, I stopped by Max's cheese steaks at one, at two, and at three, and you were there all three times. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, look, it was three cheesesteak Thursdays. You know how I'm doing it, right? Could you imagine? Oh, man. I or did you really need to check the strip bar four times because it got robbed last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back when the trestle in was still going, no, I'm telling you, the trestle's nope. hopping, boss. We need to be out there all the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of activity at the trestle. Yeah, yeah. Shaky butts. A lot of stuff going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but nice. All right, great. So, okay, so you're doing a sergeant. Like we said, you're a player's coach, and you're doing your thing. So you, how long were you in the 25th? The entire time I was a sergeant, about uh, six and a half years. Six and a half years as a sergeant yeah. in the toughest district in the city. And so you Frank, asked you to there, go there. Were you there when they started Safe Streets or did you move when, when Safe Streets had started? Great I question. was right there during Safe Streets. I'm glad you oh. brought it up. All right, fans, time for a break in the action. We're bringing a new segment. This is What's Going Down in Gamer Town with our good friend Dominic McGinley, a.k.a. the Dommy Lama. Dom, what's going down in Gamer Town? All right, so Matt, out right now is the 16th installment of the popular franchise from the early 2000s, Ratchet and Clank. They are back in this game called uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, this game is a third-person shooter platform developed by Insomniac Games exclusively for the PlayStation 5. So if you are, or you know somebody that has a PlayStation 5, I recommend grabbing it. This game has wonderful graphics, has a great balance between action and comedy, in-game play, and story. Uh, something I would highly recommend for both kids and adults. Fantastic. And that was another segment of What's Going Down in Gamertown with our good friend Dominic McGinley, a.k.a. the Dami Lama. Now, back to the show. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, Frank, can you kind of give a short synopsis of what was Operation Safe Streets? It was under Mayor John Street, yep. and there w- was a lot of 
shootings and, and yeah. homicides and, yeah. and drug sales, just terrible conditions for people to live in in yeah. some of the more challenging areas of the city. So they basically um, had mandatory overtime for cops and supervisors, and it, and it lasted several months. So the most notorious corners um, had cops, um, you know, 24-7, 365. Um, and there's, if you want to read up on it after after we get done with this, um, it's probably wasn't in retrospect the, the, the best strategy because yeah. you, you can't really dedicate that that yeah. amount of resources long term and when you you start pulling back what happens is those corners are are owned so to speak by yeah. by drug bosses yeah. and, and when you have a cop completely suppressing drug sales in a particular area they're going to they're not dumb people they're going to go somewhere else yep. so then there's going to be feuds for those areas that they try oh, to take cool. over and in the wake of say streets i think a lot of people think that's why you saw a surge in violence again it, it, it temporarily oh. reduced crime um, and then there was a surge again until the mid, um, actually until the teens. It, it's an interesting thing. There's almost like a like a homo homeostasis that goes on. Like you know, if the if the criminals know this is my area and this is my area, there's not as much beef. But when they're when all of a sudden they're they're they're, they're put out of, of where their normal uh, hunting grounds, yeah. And you know, people start coming together, fighting over where they can sell. Uh, and then, and then when the cops abandon the areas, then again they all come back, and people are like, you know, whose corner is this, and whose corner is that? It can get really uh, tribal. I guess is like what you a say. cockroaches when you turn the light on. Would you say too, uh, Frank? It sounds to me, and I might be wrong. You're saying you had different guys from different districts during the mandatory overtime underneath you, right? When you're like you were supervising different people from different districts in the safe streets thing uh like is it dangerous to have say if you have a guy that's normally in the 22nd and he knows his corners and he knows his route and he knows his area and he comes over to the 25th is it dangerous for him to be in a district where he doesn't know the corners so well he doesn't know the streets as good like could that be like potentially like fatal in those scenarios like is that a dangerous thing like it seems to me like you know, you're taking a guy to a whole new turf, maybe, you know, that he's not used to and he's tired. It's overtime. Like, I don't know. What what, what do you think? It, it, it can be. That's why you got to put them in a situation where um, they're going to be OK. Like uh, one of the most important things is is knowing where you are. Some of those older cops I talked about, you know, from day one said, Frank, where are you? Uh, uh, I don't know. Now you got to know you're at second and diamond. Simple as you have to know. Uh, look up at that street sign. So when these outside cops were coming in, um, if they had been on patrol of the whole district or a big portion of the district, it would have been a lot more dangerous, but they're literally on a corner. Yeah. So you got to know where they're at and they weren't by themselves. So there's, there's backup there. So we, it can be really dangerous, but I think we did what we had to, to mitigate it. Yeah. You kind of, so like they weren't you weren't bouncing around like from every different corner in the district. It's like, look, when you're coming here, this is your spot. This yeah, is Matt, they spot. actually That's just it. yeah they they were this was the corner you sat on, and you were just there all day with your uh, at least from what I remember from from the stories I had heard. You you got planted on a corner, you were giving your radio, and they would drive by. You know when they thought your radio was going to run out to give you a new one or, or the battery, and no <laughs> oh, shit. That's it, man. That's crazy too. What you're saying is crazy. Where it's like. Like, yeah, like, okay, so you stopped it on this corner, but they just went to another corner and did it there. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know. That's 
Tough stuff. Tough stuff. Okay. So let's keep it moving. Cause like policy isn't what we talk about here. We talk about the work that you're doing. Yeah. So, all right. So you're in the badlands, you go through safe streets, everything's good. Then uh, you leave the badlands after six and a half years and you're go to, you get promoted to Lieutenant and then you go to West Philly. So how long you, I think you were in uh, West Philly for five years at, as a Lieutenant. Is that right, Frank? Yeah, about five, five and a half years. I was in the 19th district and that, that was a rough place too. Not quite yeah. as rough as the 25th. It had its nice sections and its rougher sections. Yeah. But you're in like the Overbrook area, right? Is that Overbrook my... down to the dividing line is uh, Market Street again? The L, you know. Oh, wow. I heard there were a lot of basketball fights you had to stop over there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. guys will fight on basketball courts. Um, sometimes um, there's shootings on basketball courts. There was, was that... one man in uh, particular that had to go to Bel Air afterwards because he got no fight. <laughs> and his, uh... <laughs> yeah, I think I remember bitch. that. Now you're going back to the eighties. <laughs> Oh, that was, that was this was totally, before your time there. I, I totally missed that the first time you said it. He got <laughs> one little fight. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, his mom got, yeah, all right. Fuck you, Pete. God damn it. But all right. So, okay. So you're in West Philadelphia um, and you're there. You're there for five years as a lieutenant. Would you say, like, I know it's got to be different to an extent the police work because the neighborhoods are different but was the police work itself like kind of it's the same formula just different ingredients kind of thing is that what you were working with when you were in the west in 19 yeah basically uh, you all our policy and even the police culture is really similar yeah 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 and it's i mean like it's just it's kind of like you had to learn the layout you had to learn your troops you kind of had to get things going and and you're able to like, like we said before, you know, you're bounced around as a, to a couple of schools as a kid, you're bounced around to another district, you're able to assimilate yourself, you're able to, you know, get your leadership position, get your guys in the line, and you're able to be successful in another tough area, you know, like, you know, the 25th is the Badlands is the worst, but West Philadelphia, you know, it isn't, it isn't freaking cake and ice cream, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some definitely some stuff going on there. You're there for five years, right? And then after five years in West, you transferred to Center City, right? Now, this is an, I believe you made, you made captain in Center City, right? This is around 2012. Is that right? I spent from uh, midway through 2010 to 2012 when I did get promoted in the sixth, which is part of Center City as a lieutenant. And I had a great time there. So kind of a year and a half between the 19th and making captain in the sixth district, which is Chinatown, the neighborhood, yeah. uh, Market Street. Yeah. Really and I all the it. fun stuff. But you were in yeah. like, you wanted that challenge, right? Like from what we're saying, like you wanted to be in Center City, where this, like in, in the city city, not the neighborhoods, the city. I wanted something different. You, you don't get the shootings. You've, you've actually, we've had multiple um, homicides by stabbing there over oh, the yeah. years. A lot of it's um, homeless on homeless. Um, yeah. It's all, it's a whole culture out there. They're, they're destitute people not to knock them, but there's a lot of violence associated with it. Yeah. So um, really not the shootings, but the stabbings and the thefts, it, it's a different world compared to the 25th and, and the 19th. So uh, so, okay. And when you're there, you took up night command. Is that right? 
That was um, as soon as I made captain. I go okay. to in 2012. I go to night command, and, and night command. If it wasn't for the hours uh, that uh, you basically, you know, work an evening shift and then then an overnight shift. Uh, I'm not like an overnight kind of guy, so the hours were kind of rough. But the job's great. Like um, yeah, that's when the ninjas work at night. Yeah, you know, they come out like. <laughs> exactly and um it, it's a really good job um you're kind of the captain at large for yeah. and you might have a buddy or two uh also working that night as a captain sometime you're by yourself but um the cat the district captains have a really hard job and they have to go to sleep at some point so you're you're kind of filling in in for them not yeah. getting into the minute details of crime in their areas um, yeah. to the extent they would be, but you're going to respond to shootings and homicides and major incidents. Ex- uh, uh, if there's an explosion, uh, fa- a fatal accident, things like that. So oh, you're, wow. sometimes it could be completely dead. You might not have to do much at all. And sometimes you could be running the whole night. So I, I really oh, liked shit. it other than the last, and I did it for about five months until I got a permanent command. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. So let's get into that then. So you're night command and then five months and then you got a permanent command as a captain in center city, right? Is that Uh, where you're at now? I'm in the center city area. I made a couple pit stops along the way. Briefly, um, there there was a a temporary vacancy in the 35th, which is far North Philly. Uh Um, Like, like little Moscow, North Philly, like that far? Yeah. That's North Uh, Oh, okay. Like broad, broad and I'll need that. Up oh, north. okay. I see. Yeah. They're central high. And so, uh, and then I was uh, sent, uh, I got my actual permanent command. Well, nothing's permanent, but yeah. my, my, <laughs> I got assigned to the, the, the second district, which is Lawncrest, uh, Cotman Avenue. I, I was there about, oh, about wow. two and a half years and, and I liked it. Yeah. Then I got put in center city um, and I stayed there for almost three and a half years. Um, when I got sent there, I asked to be bike trained because most of their cops are bike cops and I wanted to ride out there with them. And you mean, and, it, and when he says bike, he means bicycle, not uh, motorcycle. Yeah. Pacific exactly. blue. Yeah. Yasmin yeah, yeah. belief. Oh yeah, baby. No, I, I, so this is very interesting. So think about this and me and Frank have talked about this and Frank, are you okay to talk about like uh, the running the bike units for like yeah, sure. the riots and things like that? So Frank, right. Think about this. How you said, was it like 250 bike, bike cops under your command during these riots, Frank? Is that right? It, it could be at, at some point, like it could, it'll be all hands on deck when, yeah. when you, you guys saw what was happening after yeah. Mr. Flo was killed yep. and then another gentleman in West Philly. Yeah. Um, it, it's not just the bikes. It's like everybody. It's all, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. Cause that's what the situation required. So I, I could have, a handful of bikes working for me, I could have several hundred depending upon the circumstances. And, you know, sometime there'll be another captain helping out and I'll be reporting to the next level after me's inspector. I'll have an inspector to report to about what's going on or what my instructions are. Um, So I, I, and I don't do it all the time, but whenever they, they need it, I actually enjoy doing it. Yeah. But you see like, to be fair, and this is the kind of thing that, and I and we don't get political on this show, sure. but this is the kind of thing where like you're you're protecting the the lives of the people in the city with what you're doing. Like when the riots happened, every civilian battened down the hatches and kind of did their thing, right? If they weren't out rioting and doing that bullshit, they were like batting down the hatches and like people's are with their families in their home. 
and you had to leave your family and you had to go command this bike unit and it's a bicycle unit, not a motorcycle unit or a horse unit or a car unit. You're a bike unit and you're out there and you had to command these guys. And you're like, look, everyone's stationed here, here, here. We're keeping eyes on this. Something happens. Let's take care of it. Do your thing. You know, and like you did see some things and you told me the story about almost getting nailed by a brick, you know, and, and having your lights taken out like there. It's very dangerous what you're seeing and what you're dealing with. And it's the kind of stuff that regular people are scared to deal with. And you had to take away time from your family and things like that off hours to go deal with it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of something that, you know, people I hate being political. We're not political on this podcast. But nah. that's something that everyone should be very thankful that you sacrificed that. Well, you know yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a tough situation. You know what I mean? Like, get, you know, things happen. People get out there. They, they yeah. you know, they, they want to ex- express their constitutional rights. And yep. then you just have to be there to make sure, like, you know, exercise your rights and then make sure people don't go too far and, and cause damage. So it's a uh, yeah. it's and a tough line to, to tell, I either. guess, is what, yeah. is what you want to say. You know, it, yeah. there's no uh, easier right answer for any of you. You just have to. That's to, why that's why you want the guy that has 30 years on the force and like to walk the beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, I'll give you a quick one um, as far as, you know, the commitment and, and leaving the family and all that. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history guy. So I know guys like that walked away after Pearl Harbor and didn't see their family for four years. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm I'm not even close to that. I'm in awe of those kind of guys. But um, yeah. during, yeah. during the um, the riots in the fall, when this when Mr. Wallace um had an altercation with the police and got killed. Um, I got called about 1 a.m. Uh, I'd been asleep for a couple hours, got told to come in. They didn't, um, they needed a bike commander right away. So I started working on that and I didn't get home till about 26 hours later. I slept for about three and a half hours, got up and then got home after that about 17 hours later. So, yeah. And that doesn't happen often. So I can't complain, but it was just something we, you know, me and a couple other, people had to do yeah still it was a sacrifice that everyone else is sound asleep in their beds brother tell you that you know that was the same night about 23 hours into that i'm dodging asteroids so (laughs) are you are you cool to tell that story frank or yeah that's fine okay um it's been in it's been in the news um you know people were expressing their opinions and and it got out of hand I, i think we all could tell that was going on in the news yeah. and, uh, and and some of the more extreme groups um they have tactics and uh, one of them is filling trash cans full of um, bricks or rocks um per, you know per any kind of projectile they could and they were hurling them at um at our cops uh, on bikes and the cops that weren't on bikes you know Jesus. in the intersections at between like two and three thirty in the morning and there's just rocks coming. They had a lot of them. You know, it's like artillery coming in. Yeah. yeah. So we have guys and girls with, with shields and heavy equipment for that. The, the bikes, you know, we have our helmets. We're actually, you know, hopefully we're going to get some more um, protective equipment in the future. But um, you, you got to do what you got to do. We have to disperse them. You can't let that keep happening. Yeah. So um, I was doing my best dodging uh, bricks and stuff like that and keeping my, my cops out of the way. Uh you know, meanwhile, there's police car windows getting smashed all over. There's fires being lit, windows being smashed out. Yeah. And um, we're, we're getting things under control. And one of my sergeants, um, I don't want to say save my life, but he saved me from maybe taking a brick in the head, um, says, Cap, stop, you know, because I'm about to turn a corner. And I 
I got where, you know, got what he was saying and jumped off my bike. It ran about 15 feet back and, you know, pretty big brick, like cracks in half, like right where I jumped off my bike. So Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that, I mean, and, it, and think about this, right? Like, like those people throwing those bricks don't know that you're, they're throwing them at a married man who's got seven kids. Like, then no. they don't like, I don't think too. I think it's, it, it, gosh, it's such a toughy, touchy subject and we don't get into that, but man, I'll tell you what, man, Frank, it's uh, I mean, I'm just happy that you're safe. You know, I think everyone is, that's a, that's a, Thanks. you know, and it, oh, you yeah. made, you know, that's a hell of a sacrifice to make. And I think everyone should be thankful regardless of their political opinions of the sacrifices that were made. But that's only my, my like part-time thing now, because uh, <laughs> right now I'm, a, I'm, I'm called, um, the captain of court attend i'm uh, sorry um court evidence unit oh and- so this ah. is cool yeah all right so like we were saying uh frank here right now is captain of court evidence is that right frank that's correct okay so what kind what does that kind of entail kind of briefly if you sum it up what do we got there well, property comes into the custody of police every day. It could, it could be confiscated because the property was used in a crime, like a gun or a knife. Um, mm-hmm. It could be money that was lost. Um, it could be money that was confiscated for drugs. It could be a, a car that's being investigated for uh, a fatality. Um, and I have actually a separate location. My main office is at City Hall, but my other location is um, over near the river uh, in Southwest Philly, where we keep the cars. Oh, ba- Jesus. Yeah. Ba- and it's a neat place. It's a really good job. I have really great cops and supervisors working under under me. Um, I, so they make my job pretty easy. I'm just that extra set of eyes and I sign off on things. Um try to keep the ship steered straight but like i said they make it really easy for me we we're not going to lose your property we're not going to lose anything that um has to go has to be used in court um, we destroy guns um most most of the guns that come in our custody are, are destroyed we actually have a gun buyback program where community people get together and they'll give you like a gift certificate to go shopping or something if you t- turn in a gun so that's a yeah. great program oh wow and, yeah once those guns are turned in or any other gun once a judge says it could be destroyed because it's not uh, needed in court anymore we actually uh, we have a process of of melting them so there's not any part of a gun left at all wow okay so let's talk about this so uh okay let and this is all for example right this is all an example so say a crime is committed involving a firearm right you confiscate that firearm that firearm is then held in the in the in holding right because it could be used in a trial or it's used as evidence against the process like to prosecute the offender kind of thing right Exactly. I mean, the, the cops on the street that don't necessarily work for me usually come into first contact with it. Yeah. And it goes through a testing process. Then it comes to us. It's it's obviously secured. And then yeah. eventually we want to destroy it. So, OK, so how does that work then? So say the murder weapon comes in, the guy gets 50 to life. Right. So he's shipped upstate. He's doing his time. He's still going. If, if he's still in like uh state penitentiary federal penitentiary whatever 
does that evidence stay in the evidence holding until he's dead? And then once he's dead, you can destroy the gun or how you does hit it the work? nail on the head. Um, it's almost like you read the policy um, <laughs> for, for, for murder. Murder is one of the only exceptions that that, that gun is kept secure until that person's no longer alive. No because- shit. Not that it happened. All the new often. DA evidence and all that kind of stuff. They yep. want to. <laughs> Innocence yeah. project. And it, it could, could theoretically be needed again in court. Yeah. Man. You know, and it, you don't, you don't want to need it and not have it. That's the fucking exactly. bottom line. So man, so that's great. The amount of kind of shit that you must have there between weapons, drugs, money, paraphernalia, anything. Like that must fill a fucking warehouse, five of them for Christ's sake. And yeah, we size in have several locations. Yeah. But like you have to, but you have to categorize and place everything. It's almost like you have like a library of records with this evidence stuff. Like that's it, very interesting. It's incredible. There's a computer system that keeps track of everything. Uh, we could look up what shelf it's on. It's all, it's almost like a supermarket. I you know? wonder if yeah. like, the, do you think like, so for the programmer or the engineer that created that computer system, like obviously you have to have IT guys work on your yes. system, right? So mm-hmm. do they have to take like a code of silence for this evidence stuff, right? Like they can't be chatting about fucking John Gotti's gun and fucking old, you know what I mean, right? Like, well, they shouldn't be. They wouldn't, IT guys wouldn't necessarily know about individual pieces of evidence. They would just work on the system for us to put the info into and they just made it. sure that your login password wasn't password like uh, something a little bit harder than that yeah, yeah, yeah. sure they made sure yeah. that you didn't use an ampersand signed in your path yeah Jesus. yeah man all right that's cool okay so so then like you were saying when this needs to be destroyed and i think this is great because the less guns on the street the better in my opinion i agree right? So like you're saying, when some, you know, when someone's number comes up, say you had someone, uh, you know, in jail for murder, that person passes away, gets the chair, whatever the hell it is, they're done. Their weapon is no longer needed as evidence. So you'll have like, is it like a yearly thing, a daily thing, a weekly thing, a monthly thing? When does it come up? You're like, so you're, you can pull that piece of evidence to be destroyed. Do you destroy it immediately that day? Or does it take like a week, a month, how, or is it yearly? Like, how does it work? Well, we don't have an sp- exact timetable on it, um, but several times a year we try to destroy, and there's different categories of evidence. Yeah. yeah. Like um, guns, for example, we'd have to get court orders to destroy them in bulk. Um, you know, we have to wait for Jimmy comes- Buffett to come through town, and then you're like, all right, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And sometimes people get stuff back, like, um, you know, say your house got raided on a warrant for drugs and you got found, you might get your money back. So sometimes if if people are legally entitled to get their property back, we're going to give it back to them. No shit. It's not our call. We just hold it until somebody else tells us. Oh, wow. Yeah. So do you have someone at the court system that like you're directly in contact with, or is this like the lawyer or whoever, the prosecutor or whoever, the judge who's in charge of this case, they're in charge of the weapons that, or in charge of any kind of evidence associated with this case as well. And they're the ones you hear from, or is it like one person that this is the evidence guy at the courts that this is who you deal with? 
kind of con- there's not one person but kind of combination of everything you just said a, okay. a judge signs off on things a person or a lawyer can make a petition mm-hmm. a- and certain categories of stuff is just um like self uh, lost and found or personal yeah. property for safekeeping yeah. you always get that back things that are um marked for investigation if the detectives investigating it don't need it anymore it might not even necessarily ever have ever made it to court um they can sign off on it that the person can have it back yeah all right that's fascinating so frank i I saw this on an episode of doug on nickelodeon back in the day where doug found some money on the street and wanted to keep it but uh he said that if he turned in the police and they held on to it for like two weeks or whatever and no one claimed he could get it and then he got the money is that a real thing or is that just made up no it's it's real um I don't have the exact rule on it right in front of me, but you can put in a claim for property. So you can just like hand it to like, hey, I'm turning this and I found it, but if no one if no one claims this by this date, then it's mine. Yeah. Finders keepers is actually written rule of the law. Yeah, yeah. And if then if you take it to Frank, he's like, Look, I found thirty five thousand in a in a bag in a park and um you know, let me know when it's good to come back. If I was a drug dealer, this is what I would do. Once a month I tell him like, Hey, I found another bag. Uh yes, if no one yes. claims it by the end of the month, it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Well it, it happened on the honeymooners, it happened on the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it watching dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would love if if someone's like, "Look, I found thirty thousand. Here it is." Two weeks later, they come back, and the guy's like, "You actually found twenty five thousand. Isn't that right?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, I only found three. Yeah, no, that would Maybe never in the happen. old days. In the yeah, old days, yeah, that would never back happen. Serpico days. That kind of yeah. shit. Like, okay, so uh, that's actually funny. You mentioned it. So I was uh, I was listening to the show. Have you guys ever ever heard of uh, John A. Light or Johnny A. Light? He was yeah, uh, nah. he was a hitman for John Gotti. He was like one of John Gotti's right hand man. He was in the mob. Uh, he was like a notorious like killer gangster wise guy. He's also Albanian, just an FYI. <laughs> but he uh, he was on a podcast I like to listen to, Chrissy Chaos with Chris Stefano. Check it out, big fan, Chrissy D. Uh, so either way, he was on that show and he was talking about and he had talked in an interview about how. For the mafia to murder someone nowadays, it would be like it's so impossible because of how the cops have everything. Where it's like cameras are everywhere, fingerprints are everywhere, DNA is everywhere. They want you to think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I'm saying like you guys, like the police, kind of have everything. Like it's, I mean, it's got to be so tough, you know. I mean, I know murder happens all the time and homicide and things like that, and and it and it fucking happens, and you know, obviously people can get away with it and things like that. Yeah, man, I, I think John Mulaney actually said it best in one of his bits where he's like, you know, like what did they do before DNA? You're like, oh, someone died. Let's uh draw a line around them with chalk. Oh, there's blood over there. Get rid of that. That's disgusting. Like, like what, you know, what were people doing back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Sherlock Holmes was really the height of, like, you know, detective work when he was like, oh, what's this over here? A spyglass? Very good. No, yeah, I'm with you. But I feel like now the way that, I mean, with security footage and cameras being everywhere, I mean, in, like, Google, you know, Jesus Christ, and your phones being able to track GPS. Well, like, not to mention all the people putting it on Instagram or Facebook as well as they're doing oh, it. Oh, <laughs> my God. Jesus Christ. Frank. I mean, how, so you kind of worked through that, Frank, 
where at the beginning of your career, it's the early 90s. There's no social media, internet or whatever. And then eventually you were still, you know, you're a sergeant lieutenant working the streets during the birth of the social media era. Did you start to see like fucking stunads taking pictures, posting on Facebook saying like, I just robbed this liquor store or something like that? Like, did you ever come across that? Um, they kind of do it now. Like <laughs> there's some really, I mean, we, we have people that monitor that. I mean, they, they've taken it to a whole new level, but going back about eight wow. or nine years ago when, when that stuff was starting to develop, um, I had cops that were really, really advanced with the social media and, and um, a girl that worked for me in, in the second w- was fantastic at it. Um, we had a gun missing in a school one time. Nobody would give up the gun. And I said, asked her if she could go on and do her thing and and find the gun. She's like, yeah, the gun's in the trash can, uh, you know, because they're talking about it in real time <laughs> while we had the school lockdown. Jesus Christ. Or, 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 or other times dudes will yeah. be like, you know, holding their gun up and doing their, their thing that you see on Gangster social media. Bullshit. About yeah. The shooting or, or at least bragging about the back and forth rivalry between them, yeah. them and the guy that just got shot. So yeah. Yeah it points you in the right direction. I mean, it, it, they just make it too easy. It's like leaving fingerprints, you know, yeah. and dropping the gun at the scene. It just, that, that was me. the yeah. big one. Just a few months ago, there was a guy like, I, you know, the, the bikes come out door and whenever, and they surrounded a guy in the car and the one guy's just destroying his car and his friends videotaping it. And you're like, yeah, man, you're on camera now. We know who you are. Like, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Fucking, I guess. Yeah. Idiots. <laughs> I mean, but they're if they're dumb. I mean, God, Jesus, those fucking morons deserve what they get. You know what I'm saying? So, all right, so let's keep it going. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things, and then I'll let you go, Frank. But I mean, sure. I hate to do this, but because th- this has been nothing but fascinating. So, uh, we had talked about your t- uh, taking tests for inspector and staff inspector. So, what does this entail? So, is this kind of like you talked about taking the detective test? And you passed and like, obviously, lieutenants, you passed and captain and everything like that. Is this just kind of like another step up the ladder for you? Like what, what would change in your duties if you were to be an inspector or staff inspector? Like, it's just go, go ahead. No, that's fine. Um, right now I'm, I'm on a list for staff inspector. The lists always run two years. There's no guarantee I'll get it. There's no guarantee I won't. Um, you have to take, um, basically go in front of, of boards that come in from out of town. So there's, you know, no potential for any tampering. Yeah. And they ask you a bunch of questions and, and you have 15 minutes to answer like three different questions. And I did really well this time, yeah. at least on the staff inspector portion of it. So I'm, I'm pretty high on that list. I, I think I got it, you know, maybe a good shot of making it. And if not, yeah. I could take it again in about a year and a half. But, you know, that, that's yeah. the job I want. Inspectors are really, really hard job because now you're in charge of an area of the city. Like you had three or four captains working for you and oh, they wow. do a great job on their own in most cases, but you, you're managing that whole ship. Yeah. Staff inspectors more of like almost um, a quality control person. Uh, and, and that stuff's important too, but it's not as rough on a daily basis. You, as and you want to, you want the action. You want to be, cause like inspector, you're kind of monitoring the streets. Right. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not real high on that list, the inspector list now, and I'd like to have it, but I'm, yeah. I'm good with staff too. Yeah. Like I, I'm approaching 30 years. Yeah. I still, I still, <laughs> yeah. 30 years of hard, a hard, yep. hard police work too. 30 and, years of hard police work. And that whenever, you know, break glass in case of emergency, I saddle up on the bikes and put that together. 
So I'll, I'll be happy if I make staff. And if not, I'll take the test in a year and a half again. I'll yeah. get it. Hey, man, I, the, I have faith in you. There's no written component, which makes it a little harder for me. Once mm. captain's the last rank with a written component and oh, not smarter than anybody else. But if you tell me there's like five books and all our policies that I have two years to study for, I'm going to know it cover to cover. Yeah, It's, it's almost too easy. But after <laughs> captain, it's just these panels that come in. And I mean, they try to be fair, but there, there's human opinion that comes into play. And yeah. I've walked out of test thinking I did great and I didn't do really well. And I, I last like the last one I walked out, I'm like, ah, I, I, I kind of screwed up and I did better than I've done in the last 10 years. Yeah. So, eh, we'll see. Yeah. I think, dude, hey, as, as much as I know you, you're a relentless freaking mongoose and fucking cheetah when it comes to this stuff. So, <laughs> I'll get it. <laughs> hey, man. No, I'll tell you this. And this is something I prided myself on when I was fighting my trainer, Harry Joe Yorgi. He would say, no one worked like me. He's like, you out, like, work, you work more than anybody. You're the hardest worker. And I I will say this, you are right up there, Frank. I've seen a lot of guys work and all that stuff in the gym and everything like that. But you fucking work, brother. And you should be very proud of that. You know, that's something that you should that you can hang your hat on and that and that you should. So let's keep it moving. I want to finish up with this. So you had told me this. So right now you're uh, the historian on the board of the Castidas Pasis. This is the Philadelphia Fraternal Organization of Cops and Firefighters of Italian-American Heritage. And then you're also the historian for the state of PA, Sons and Daughters of Italy. So uh, are these related? Are they separate? Like, what kind of does this entail? Because this is great, because I think that this should be for a lot of people, like, you know, Italian American heritage, Irish American heritage, Polish, whatever, you know, like Jewish, I mean, Spanish, whatever it is. I think that this is great that you have this. So what kind of what is it? What are you doing here? What does this entail? And, and what do you got going on? All right. I've been a member of Custodis Pachis and also the State Lodge, I guess, about eight, eight years or so now. Custodis Pachis. I said Custodis Pachis. A, a lot of people can't say it. <laughs> Loosely translated, it's Guardians, Guardians of the Peace in Latin. Our, oh. our, our, yeah, our logo is actually um, on our patches, uh, a Roman centurion. Oh, oh, very cool. All right. Yeah, Custodis so tra- Pachis, is that how it says? Passes or patches um okay. yeah guardians of the peace and um a good body of mine inspector bologna is the president of our our club um i was never into things like that like uh, i'm kind of not like a club and an association guy but i like history and i like people yeah. so they, they asked me to join and, and about a year or so into it when we had elections they wanted me to be the, the historian because i'm just i'm a history nerd if, uh, if i'm not Same. watching history stuff on netflix i'm watching uh, the Same. titans that build america on the history channel yeah. i just love it i'm a big and, fan too yeah, I, when I joined, I, I thought not to criticize anybody, but I thought the Italian American part of it was drifting away a little bit. And, you know, we were eating pizza, beer, and wings and having an event now and then. So I got them as part of my duties to let me give a like a brief presentation at our monthly meeting. All right. Yeah. So I'll come up with a different topic. And I, I actually uh, also administer our, our um, Facebook page, Custodis Pachis 2085. And I administer the state of Pennsylvania. The state of Pennsylvania is just our parent organization. There's there's all kinds of sons and daughters of Italy clubs throughout the state. Yeah. So most of them want to be under the umbrella of the state lodge. Yeah. So uh, you know I'm the historian for both boards. Uh, it kind of they kind of segue into each other. Dude. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
Dude, that's great, man. So, Frank, as a as a historian and a South Philly guy, can you are you familiar with the mosh or the neck? The mosh? No, I'm not. Yeah, the neck. All right, I got. I, I give it. So my my uh my my grandmom my, my, was originally from South Philly, where now the Walt Whitman Bridge goes over. But that area of South Philly was like an area that hadn't been developed forever until the 50s. It was called the mosh or the neck or whatever. And it was really just like a bunch of houses along a, a canal that had no electricity. Wow. And yeah, basically, like it wasn't until there's there's a whole conspiracy that the people were run out because they they let a dam go and it flooded it out. Because for a long time, like it, it was a illegal slump, so nobody was paying taxes. There was no electricity going there, but people didn't they, like they wouldn't have nice cars and have jobs. They just wanted to live in this area of the city. And then eventually, uh, you know, the stand broke or, or saw a, a dike broke and it kind of flooded out. And they were like, oh, they finally got rid of us. Because for a while there, everyone, like every couple of years, it would get really bad. And then they would come down with cops and the people would chase them off pitchforks. And then it was like in the mid-1950s where it finally like kind of went down. But uh, I was doing some family research and I kind of found out about it because I didn't realize any of the oh, stuff. It was wow. pretty nice. Awesome. I'm going to check it out. I've heard of things like that. I haven't heard it called that. But, uh, for instance, in southwest Philly and where the Navy Yard is now, I've always heard there were like kind of just little towns, yep. you know, not necessarily proper, properly built houses, but but shacks and stuff all along the river and, and impromptu farms and stuff like that. You know, and just uh, I'm putting it on the chat now. Uh, the article that I that I kind of referenced, so you can take a oh, look cool. at it. It's I pretty will. cool. Thanks. Very nice. So this is kind of what I heard. So from what I heard, Philadelphia, South Philly, used to be a swamp, right? So, All Philadelphia is a swamp. Yeah. So still is. <laughs> so yeah. So but when they were creating the subway, right? They were digging out the tunnels for the subway, taking that dirt, and they were putting it in South Philly. Right. And kind of leveled out the swamp, making it able like being able to be inhabited and build homes and stuff. So when they were creating the tunnels for the subway, they had all the equipment on an island called Hog Island. Right. And what they would do is the workers would go to Hog Island to get their equipment to dig out the tunnels for the subway. Right. But part of working at Hog Island is that you would get. For lunch every day, you would get a sandwich, which would be a long roll with meat and cheese on it, right? And this was called a hoggie that then <laughs> turned into the hoagie. Let me get one of them hoagies. <laughs> that's what I heard. That's true. I heard that as well. So that's some fucking history for you. So it wasn't a sub. It wasn't a hero. It wasn't a grinder. It wasn't a fucking Stugazzo, whatever they call it in shit York. It's a fucking hoagie, all right? That's right. <laughs> Goddamn right. So, nice. All right, so, Frank, man, I know uh, we went a little long here, but, dude, I and me and Pete are pretty much on board with this all the time, but we would fucking love to have you back on the show. If you I'll be back. Come on. Sure, thanks, guys. This um, was neat. Damn, yeah, man, was, thanks for coming on. This was fucking, I can't thank you enough. This is a great conversation. Obviously, like, our whole mantra on the show, and I've said it a million times, ice cream, man. The, we view entertainment as ice cream where th there's not just one good flavor of ice cream. There's a million different flavors. And you really like, you brought so much great shit tonight with like the history and with like the job itself and talking about like, you know, we had some fun, we had some laughs, we had some sentimental stuff. We had some, you know, just kind of different things that brought it all together, but I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Can't Me thank too. you enough for coming on before we get out of here, Frank, is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we take off? Um, I read that list that you gave me, and just to add 
1980. I was 10. My favorite yeah. movie was definitely Empire. Uh, Empire. Empire. I never even Empire heard of it. Empire Strikes Back. Oh, oh all right. <laughs> My current favorite movie is Goodfellas, and that's like really hard to say that it's not The Godfather one or two, but just oh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas just I don't like, know about a cop being Empire Strikes Backs and Goodfellas, but you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what. The, my favorite line from Goodfellas is when you're talking to your buddy and you just go, now go get your fucking shine box. Right? <laughs> is that the best fucking line or what? Huh? Now go get your fucking shine box. Is there anything that beats that? That's just the fucking Billy Bats. Can't beat it. So great, man. Dude, Frank, I'll tell you what, dude. Can't thank you enough for coming on. This was just such a fucking treat, man. Really great stuff. And honestly, Really, we only scratched the surface. We could go on for another two hours about, you know, your job and everything you've done and your accomplishments. And really thank you for talking with us and sharing with us, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, like, you know, we didn't get to in de- detail, but it is a toughy, touch, you know, the police right now is a touchy subject. And, it, and, you know, it takes some courage for you to come on here and share your story and be able to talk with us. And we really, really do appreciate it. And I think the listeners will appreciate it, too, because it gives a really much needed perspective on the police. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you, guys. Of course, man. Of course. Party Boy Pete, anything you want to say to the dozens and dozens before we take off? Just uh, check out uh, A Day in the Mosh, an old homage to South Philadelphia. The real... (laughs) Wait, A Day in the Mosh? So, like, you're saying marsh with an accent? Like, a mosh. Yeah, some article I, I came across from like 1881 that was talking about deep South Philly. But like I, I got it when I found out like my grandmother lived here, I was like, well, this is interesting. Like I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. All right, well, check it out. A day in the life in the mash. That sounds pretty nice. All right, so uh, this has been another episode of the Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find our podcast on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can join us on Instagram at Work Inspectors Podcast, and you can follow us on the Twitter and the Tiki Talk at Working P Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, just feel free to email us at workinspectors at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Matt Lavelle. He's Party Boy Pete McCormick. Our guest today was Fighting Frankie Palumbo. Uh, this is the end of the show. Stick around for the ad read. All right. Thanks. See ya. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, B is in Tom, B is in Boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry.com. That's Scott Bell Publishing, where the authors go.